For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts. It's also a free food Friday today, courtesy of ourselves and our partners at Roosters, Piri Piri, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. So I'll tell you more about that and the food throughout the course of the morning. But get texting now who you are and where you are to 0868 104 106. News-wise, well, uh, sadly for over 100 people, I think maybe closer to um, maybe uh, 110 people, will lose their jobs because ILC Dover have decided to close at the end of this year. It's a serious blow to the local community. I'll have more on this story a little later on, but uh, they are moving and closing the Blarney operation and moving it to Poland and to Mexico. Now, I won't say much more about it right now, but I will be returning to the story. Uh, Life is tough for many people and for perhaps up to 110 families on Leaside, it has just got a hell of a lot tougher. Meanwhile, this Apery Living Homes story um, continues to develop. Uh, The examiner this morning really honed in um, and talk of the guard involvement here, particularly with regards to the allegations of money. Now, we know of the fire safety concerns, certainly within, say, Belgooli, which is going to close. But there are other um, Apery uh, Living Homes as well. And HICWA has referred a number of the nursing homes now to Ungarda Shikona. So they've identified financial and fire safety concerns and they found irregularities in six of Apery living homes. It's bizarre and includes some cases where residents' money was used to run the nursing homes or of money not returned to families of deceased residents. Now, this will have to be absolutely investigated and proven, but this is what the examiner is saying this morning. They're saying they also found significant high risks in relation to fire safety in a number of homes. And of course, what we do know, I don't know what else is going to happen with regards to Apparee. There's a guard involvement in it now, but residents' money, I mean, that's fairly, that's as serious as you can get, really. I mean, there were other issues regarding that we dealt with Apparee earlier in the week. So it may well be, I'm in fact, I know it certainly will be coming back to that story um, at some time in the future. But uh, guard investigation now, and many people now scrambling to find new homes. It's not beds, and that was pointed out on the air journey. We're not talking about a bed in a nursing home. It's a home, um, from home, if you like. Um, there are now um, eight people uh, charged in connection with the seizure on the MV Matthew. The latest is a 30-year-old sailor from the Philippines. Um, this is a 2.2-ton haul of cocaine worth over $157 million, uh, from the MV Matthew. We all know that story, of course. Um, but the Filipino national um, was uh, questioned at Cove Garda Station, arrested uh, and stuff like that. When he was charged, apparently, he said, I believed that I was just following orders, the orders of my seniors. I was also tricked and informed that there were spare parts on board the cargo ship. I wish to defend myself against any accusation. I believe I'm innocent and I deserve to be free. So that's an impassioned response to why he was on the ship and knew nothing about the contents. Are you following the story of the Dublin uh, assault on the American US tourist? Stephen Termini, age 57, suffered serious injuries after the assault in Dublin. Well, perhaps you are. Well, the Irish Times um, has... uh, an update on this one, although it has been bubbling away for quite some time. It's pretty much centred around now the GoFundMe that was set up. So Stephen Timoney from Buffalo, New York, suffered serious injuries in the assault on Talbot Street, right? Um, and he was seriously injured, as I say. His family um, is now, there's a, there's a row and there's a split over the proceeds of the GoFundMe. 
um, um, and um, GoFundMe are saying they can't get involved in this. They have actually no role to try and seek a resolution between Stephen Termini and certainly one of his sons, perhaps the, perhaps the other. But while he was in a coma, uh, one of his sons, Michael, uh, set up the GoFundMe uh, to help with medical expenses and travel costs to enable Termini's family to come to Ireland to be with him during his recovery. And I wonder how many people knew what the fund was for and how it would be used. It was more than €120,000 raised by over 4,500 donors in a matter of weeks. But the dispute now between the father and the son is over the money. And it broke out as soon as um, Stephen Termini was discharged and released from hospital. Um, The donations had not been intended, says the son, for his father's personal use. Um, and uh, like they, I don't know whether it's frozen now at this stage or anybody can get at it or whether it's been drawn down or anything. But anyway, that's what's happening there. Um, I, the father wants it. The son is saying it's not for your personal use. It was set up to um, enable family members like the, the two sons to come over, expenses involved and the, and the travel costs. And bizarrely, then it went to €120,000. So it's a big lump of change. But then uh, apparently, I know I'm spending a little time on this, but it's, it's a fascinating story with regards to go. Me because I've heard in the past of GoFundMe's dealt with it with a little kitten from uh, Vietnam there a couple of years ago. Uh, and of course, um, that money was never used for the intentions that it was actually GoFunded for. Anyway, anyway, the son has uh, actually, Mr. Termini Term- himself then, set up a second GoFundMe page, uh, raising money to help him to gain Irish citizenship and buy a home in County Mayo. The second GoFundMe on the way, and it's even more bizarre now that it's been set up over a month and he set a target of $100,000 and so far it's raised $115. So I don't see this second GoFundMe really going anywhere, do you? But anyway, I spent a lot of time on that, but it's a very, very interesting story. You heard in the news there that the country's health services faces major disruption from today. It's it's to do with managers and administration staff. It's a work to rule over the, um, over the hiring freeze. But with the upcoming budget next week, many of the papers are talking budget-related stories. Bertie Ahern is saying, look after the elderly. Some are suggesting that Michael McGrath is going to give €20 Euro a week to the old-age pensioner. Uh, but it's also thought that other ministers are rowing with him, or not rowing, but you know, encouraging him to give a more modest increase to pensioners of in and around a tenner. Uh, but it's the ex-Taoiseach says that pensioners deserve a decent cash boost. But for the average worker, you should be a thousand euro better off in uh, next Tuesday's budget. It won't be long being whittled away on you, though as you turn up the heating across the winter, I suppose, and petrol and diesel goes through the roof. But we should see other cuts in income tax and a tiny little tinkering with universal social charge. Um, And there's also going to be some payouts for electricity bills and some rent relief. And, of course, welfare payments will go up in general. A couple of very sad stories on the front page of the Red Tops today. One is the story of a retired uh, Garda's wife. Himself and his wife had just come out of a restaurant, apparently. She was struck by a car. It's a, a suspected hit and run. Aren't we hearing of far too many hit and runs these days where people flee the scene? Uh, Carol Seary at the age of 67 up in Fibsborough. Now the car
car was pursued by a Garda patrol car uh, at the time of the incident. Now, there were other deaths in our road in the last 24 hours or so. Two other people, a pedestrian and a van driver, were killed in separate accidents in Limerick and Tipperary. And before the courts then was a 13-year-old boy before a sitting of the Ballinasloe District Court charged with dangerous driving causing death. This was the fatal crash last April. Do you remember it? Uh, the, food, food, the two 14-year-olds uh, who died, um, the lad before the courts at the age of 13 was accompanied by his mother uh, to court, charged with dangerous driving causing death, dangerous driving causing serious harm, the unauthorised taking of a vehicle and driving without insurance and a driving licence. Very, very, very sad. All too often now we're hearing of more tragedies involving younger people on our roads. It's bad at any age, for sure it is. There could be changes with regards to how we handle refugees coming into the country. Leo Varadkar is kind of saying something on the lines that we're kind of full. Uh, we have um, all sorts of uh, housing crises in Ireland. We're struggling to accommodate the number we already have. And Ireland perhaps would prefer now to opt to paying a financial contribution instead. Um, At least he's acknowledging that we've got a problem on our hands here with trying to cope, not just for our own, but those that are coming here. And there's a figure being suggested that Ireland would pay um, frontline countries near Ukraine a figure of between 10,000 and 22,000 euro per asylum seeker. Uh, If they decline to accept it, who knows what happens then. Uh, But that we would pay that rather than ask or or invite the asylum seeker to come to Ireland, that we give financial aid instead. Uh, Finances dominate the problems with an RTE, for sure they do. Apparently there is still some very important documentation and notes that RTE continue to hold back and to stalwall the PAC committee. And it's to do with uh, meetings between uh, D Forbes, um, and Noel Tuberty's agent, Noel Kelly. And it's the notes, the notes they want, or the notes where apparently it was agreed to underwrite the 75 grand a year Renault deal. So why are RTE holding back on that? Um, what are they trying to hide? Maybe it's completely innocent and they just haven't got around to it, but there's a lot of pressure on them because it's very much central to the investigation. I was telling you yesterday that Ryan Tuberty has not given back the 150,000 euro. Why would he? I mean, there's nothing criminal there. There's nothing acting wrong with it. He got axed from his job. I think he'd be mad to give it back. But anyway, your thoughts on that are welcome. Text 0868104106. Interesting research that's out this morning says that 385,000 people don't have a GP in Ireland. And unfortunately, one of the reasons is that local GPs are not accepting new patients. And one in 10 Irish adults now, 10% of the population have to rely on digital services, as in Zoom calls and phone calls. And over in the UK, I wonder if this would catch on. I was reading this online this morning. Uh, Labour um, has said if they get into government that they will organise a new plan in schools in the UK to have supervised toothbrushing in school as part of their problem or solving of the NHS. Now, apparently, tooth decay in children is the most common reason for children under 10 to be admitted to hospital. Well, certainly between the ages of six years and ten years, it's the number one reason why they're in hospital. And apparently it's children in most deprived areas are three times more likely to have rotting teeth than those in the least deprived areas. So the poorest get hurt the worst. So teachers are freaking over this. They're saying, we didn't sign up to be brushing kids' teeth in school. Um, but, you know, it's going to take up another time and it's not a good use. It's an improper use of teachers' time. But it's a, it's a, it's a sad world, isn't it? Um, thankfully, there's food available for children 
children in schools. Some get breakfast, an awful lot get dinners. They're rolling out in the next few years in Ireland that all children will be fed in schools. But isn't it quite sad at the same time, the pressures of parents and other reasons besides that, where children are being fed in school and now sadly are being taught how to brush their teeth? Is it that the parents couldn't be bothered? Is it that they can't afford a toothpaste and a toothbrush? Perhaps it should be given to every home for free. Toothbrushes and toothbrush and toothpaste. I don't know. One of the other ones from overseas is that obesity um, is about to surpass smoking as the top cancer threat for women under 60. So what we eat, the bad food, the junk food, the fatty food, the sugary food, the high-carb food is killing us. Um, And we will pass a time very soon when obesity will surpass smoking as a top cancer killer. It's a beautiful story in the echo of four generations of the one family visiting the Barbie, the Baldy Barber out in Blackpool. I'd imagine the earlier generations probably also got a bazaar on Merchant's Quay. It's a beautiful story of Michael O'Brien, who is now known as being the longest serving and most loyal customer of the bald one out in Blackpool and he went along yesterday with three other generations of the family when he headed out to the Baldy Barber in Blackpool. I think there was a wedding involved in it. I'll come back to that story a little later on. But this is very interesting. We've been talking an awful lot recently about childbirth and uh, sadly, unfortunately, uh, talking about uh, miscarriages. But many of the women that we were talking to uh, on the air were talking about looking forward to the birth. There is a suggestion from research now um, that women's brains actually get rewired a couple of months before the baby arrives to prepare them for being a mum. I, I think there's a term used called nesting, uh, which is a period before the birth when women get the house ready and, you know, are, are, like this is almost primeval, if you like. It goes back millions and millions of years within the DNA because a woman's brain gets rewired due, during pregnancy to prepare them for motherhood. Um, it, it, it talk, not necessarily to do with hormones. It's probably a lot more complicated than that, but there are certain chemical changes um, where they, they become very much focused on the arrival of a baby. Um, it doesn't actually go into the study working out baby brain um, where they um, become, some people become very forgetful. Uh, it could have to do, perhaps they're suggesting, uh, with being hyper-responsive to the baby's needs, being very alert to babies crying. Um, so it's, it's an interesting piece of research, actually, where uh, the women's brain get rewired to prepare them for being a mum. Listen, very sad news as well yesterday for those of us that knew and had great time and respect for the great Dave Halpin Sr., the owner of Ecos in Dublin and Webworks, uh, the Webwork House on Winthrop Street. I want to send my condolences to his family, particularly his son, uh, Dave, and his daughter, Victoria. He died on Thursday afternoon and uh, the papers this morning, including the Echo of the Examiner, say that he was one of the best-known restaurateurs and business leaders in the city and county, and we could all concur with that. Uh, anybody that gets a tribute after their death, like Dave Halpin does in the papers this morning, where he was called kind, kind. I think that is a beautiful thing. Now, Eco, which remains one of my favourite restaurants of all, I was only in there on Sunday night and I was talking to Dave Halpin Sr. on Sunday night last. He was in great form, real dapper dresser, laughing. We were having the jokes and the crack and the laughs. And sadly, he passed away on Thursday afternoon. And many people might even remember, if you're of the generation to remember, Halpin's. Forgive me now, but going to take a stab on this. Halpin's on Cook Street, maybe, guys. Correct me on that if I'm wrong. Text 0868104106. One of the greatest restaurants on Leaside for many years, Halpin's. It stayed open very late. 
The food was awesome. There was always a great buzz in there. A lot of the time it was a good place to go after the pubs or after a night out because you'd be guaranteed a really great laugh and super food in Halpins. And he moved it then uh, to Eco and Douglas and happy to say that the very same curry all those years ago in Halpins on, I'm going to say it again, Cook Street. I'm going to be corrected if I'm wrong. Um, Cook Street. Thank you, Kevin. Right across from the Rob Roy. That same curry, particularly the Eco curry, which is the mixed curry, is still available to this day in Eco in Douglas. But uh, may he rest in peace, lads. Neil Prendeville, Gold Imro Award winner for Speech Broadcaster of the Year, Cork's Red FM. Let me get stuck in. Let me go back to the um, ILC Dover story, if you don't mind, because I have a lot of correspondence since last June with ILC Dover between Kevin Galvin from this program of this parish and ILC Dover itself, because he had been communicating back and forth with them uh, over the period, um, asking questions. I was originally alerted back in June, on the 21st of June, from a staff member at ILC Dover a lengthy email and they were very worried because they they were hearing at the time ripplings of ILC Dover um, closing uh, the Cork operation. Here's a couple of paragraphs from the staff member who at the time warned me uh, not to give out their details but they recently, it was thought back in June, had made the decision to relocate its manufacturing operation to Mexico and to Poland where labour costs are significantly lower. Now the employee said that ILC Dover has kept the news of the closure quiet with no mention of redundancy or any meaningful support for the affected employees. The employee said, it appears to us that profits have been prioritised over people's livelihoods, disregarding the hardships that will be faced by numerous families in the area if it goes ahead. The employee said to us, we are deeply concerned this may be a prevailing trend with more multinational companies opting to move their operations out of Ireland in pursuit of cheaper labour markets. If ILC Dover closes its doors, it will not only result in the loss of over 100 jobs, but hundreds of jobs and it will have a significant impact on the local Cork economy. Please bring this to the attention of your listeners and contact ILC Dover. So we did on a few occasions. We told them we'd been contacted by staff. We've been told that they were worried about the future. We were told that we asked them about whether or not the factory in Blarney would be due to be shut. We were told it was going to happen imminently. And this goes back as far as uh, June and July when we were getting on to them. We asked them for guarantees that they were going to keep Blarney open. We asked them if there were job losses, would they have job losses that would allow ILC Dover to stay in Blarney? And we received the very curt few lines that you usually get from responses to that. Thank you for your inquiry. Our facility in Blarney continues to operate on an ongoing basis. Right? We remain committed to our employees and to transparent communication and does not comment on speculation and does not have any additional comments. Um, and that's the response we got. So what I drew from that back then was that they were going to continue to operate on an ongoing basis and that they remained committed to their employees. So I thought, okay, to a large extent, nothing to see there. Boy, was I proved wrong. Uh, And yesterday the announcement was made. Ken O'Flynn is the independent councillor for many areas of the north side, but of the parish of Blarney himself, when he joins me by phone. Ken, good morning. 
Good morning, Neil. How are you? Now, good. So just before I go through parts of your statement, what do you make of all of that? The communication from the employee back in June and also the response that we received from ILC Dover. What would you read into we remain and continue to operate on an ongoing basis and we're committed to our employees? What would you read into that? Well, look, it's quite obvious a PR firm or whoever they have working in their PR team internationally wrote the statement. Uh, again, Neil, a bit like yourself and, and your journalists and broadcasters there um, and research team, I had been hearing rumours from my own uh, parish for people working in, in, in the company saying, look, we're, we're hearing this and we're hearing that. And um, did you hear anything? And did you hear, uh, do you know of anything about it? Uh, and at the time, I didn't. And, you know, I was kind of, I was have the same kind of opinion as yourself, saying nothing to see here. Um, in particular, because they were advertising for jobs on Facebook, I think back in September, and they were they were looking for additional people um, to come in and work in the firm, which was this very strong indication to me that you know everything was fine and everything was working away. Um, it wasn't until until yesterday until members of the staff contacted me. Um, yesterday to tell me what was going on. People that I would know that were personally that were working there and to say that there was an announcement coming. Um, I remember I, I yesterday I, I rang a couple of people that I would know in the media circle saying, did you hear anything about this? Did you did you know anything about this? Everything was being remained very, very tight-lipped. I then found out that there was a, a email sent to the Department of Enterprise <coughs> to Minister Coveney's office. Uh, to to inform them of this, and uh, further to that, then uh, the journalist that I spoke to got a press statement from them later in the afternoon, saying that they'd be that they were packing up and they were going to Poland and Mexico. Okay. What well, what we had been told in recent times was that there would should be no real surprise here because where is the paragraph on this where it said that they had in the past uh, recently moved from Delaware a plant there also to Mexico, resulting in the loss of all of the jobs at the facility over there. Is this about, um, is this about chasing lower costs and chasing lower wages, Mexico and Poland? Absolutely, it's about profit. It's about profit. Look, these American companies have come into the country. We're very glad to have them. We're very glad to have these big pharma companies in the country, but they're not loyal to the country. You know, the reality is that they're they're here for, and you know it as well as I do, and, and your listeners know it as well. These guys come in with big tax cuts, with with large amounts of um, grants and etc. Come on, set up in Ireland, employ in Ireland. You know, we're, we I think we have about a hundred thousand people in multinational companies uh, in Ireland. But look, the well is running dry. Um, we're not able to compete anymore. Like you know, with cheaper no labour markets, you're saying. Cheaper, cheaper labour markets, full stop. You, there's no way that a company in Ireland can pay the same amount of the, uh, the costs of uh, running a company in Mexico or running a company in Poland. They say they have to re-evaluate their operational footprint, wh- wh- mm-hmm. whatever that means. They say that Blarney, um, they have more production capacity than is needed and as a result of the evaluation, they've made the difficult decision to do what they're doing, um, Look, specifically Blarney. And, and at the same time, I know whether this is a kick in the teeth to staff. The statement also said that this is not in any way a criticism of the staff or Blarney or productivity. Thank you very much. 
Yeah, yeah. No, look, the, the, the statement is, is very black and white. And, and if you if you if you drill down through it, it's it's about profit. It's about putting profit above people. It's about thanks very much. We've 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 gotten what we wanted. We we can't take any more. We're not going to pay the high rents, or we're not going to pay uh, the high wages that's being looked for. And we'll get out here, and we'll get into Poland, and we'll get into Mexico, where it's a lot cheaper to do business, where it's less regulated, etc. Mm. That's the reality of it. But the other, the other reality is that we now have 110 employees living very, very local. Um, you know, you're talking from anywhere from high end to, to um, general labour force workers inside, inside there, you know, production staff. Um, you're, you know, that's, and I would imagine 90% of the employees there are relatively local to Cork and quite a few, quite a few living in my own parish in Blarney. Yeah. Um, um, so look, it, it, it's a dark day for Blarney, full stop. That's the reality of it because it look, I, it's harder. It's great to say that there's loads of work out there, you know. But when you drill down to what what the real work out there and what what's available to people that are struggling to pay bills and what's available to people, a lot of it isn't very enticing at all. No, and you're saying in your statement as well, this is loss of employment to the local community and all the impacts of that at a time for the 110 members of staff with ever-increasing cost of living, lack of rental accommodation, they're not going to have as much bobs in their pocket going forward. No. Is, is there talk of statutory redundancy or funded ILC Dover redundancy, do you know? Well, this, this, this is what I'm hearing. I'm, I'm hearing two things because, uh, again, there's meant to be a staff meeting uh, today and there was one last night, as I understand. Um, nobody is very clear on that. They've been very, very tight-lipped and my fear would be that it would be, it would be a government statutory redundancy. So it would be a quite, quite a small redundancy to the others. Now, that remains to be seen, but that seems to be the rumour on the ground talking to people. I, I Neil, just to say, look, it's not just 110 jobs. There is a huge knock-on effect as well. It's the guy that buys his petrol in Blarney. It's the guy that buys his sandwich in Blarney, that buys our cup of coffee in Blarney. Goes out that to eat in Blarney. Yeah, all, yeah, 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 yeah. That all has an effect on the local economy. And why do you say that we're over-relying on big pharma jobs? What are you saying we should be doing instead? Well, look, we have, we have another industry there, which is the small to medium companies. Uh, I believe that if you go into business now, I, you know, I talk to people every day, and fellas will say to you, Jesus, I wouldn't go back into business in, in Ireland anymore. The amount of red tape, the amount of things that you have to get pre- prepared, the amount of monthly statements, the amount of red tape that's there for the revenue, uh, all that is very, very difficult to be in business. And it's not that you're trying to defraud anyone or anything like that. It's the amount of administration work that has been piled on over the years from government. And it's very difficult to start up a small business now. Mm-hmm. Very okay. difficult. Okay, I just looked at the profits for uh, ILC Dover, at least the revenue for 2022. Uh, it was 121.8 million US dollars. Uh, they're not a poor company by no, any means. No, no. And they're not a struggling company by any means. That's the reality of it. Okay. And they are, uh, being a typical American company, they are remaining very, very tight-lipped at the, mo- at the moment to, to, impl- to staff. And there is kind of the unspoken warning of keep your mouth shut, don't talk to the media, don't talk to anybody, because um, it will affect you. Bizarrely, the statement to staff, I think it's part of it is quite hurtful because Corey Walker, their president, actually says, and this is apparently, let me just double-check again, an ILC Dover statement to staff where he says, let's continue to push forward remain laser-focused on safety and execution, support one another as we close out 2023. We thank you for your continued patience and perseverance. It's greatly appreciated. He's kind of saying, your jobs are gone, but keep working hard. 
Well, well, keep working hard, keep working hard and do, do do everything you can to keep us going and keep us in profit and goodbye and good night. And that's, that's what it is. Okay, what it okay. Is. All right. Okay. You, you, you can stay there if you wish. Um, I don't know if you wanted to respond to this, but another text from a staff member says, keep me anonymous. I'm one of those who is going to lose my job at ILC Dover and Blarney. I just wanted to add context to what was actually going on. Back in 2022, we were made aware that they were planning to open a plant in Poland to expand the life scientist, sciences sector of the brand. This was sold to us as no impact on our jobs, the opening of the Polish plant. They went as far as asking us to train the Polish staff. Oh my God. Train the Polish staff and even sending some employees to Poland for a time period to train the Polish staff. Again, reassurances were given to us that ILC Dover Blarney was here to stay. Our COO informed us he wanted a phased closure between January and February of 2024 no redundancies or definitive dates. We had further found out that he actually wanted to close four weeks' time, not January or February. This is not, Neil, a downturn of business. They are moving our jobs elsewhere, and as Scott Walker put it himself, cheaper Polish labour. Isn't that astonishing that um, they were promised that the Polish plant wouldn't impact Blarney? They actually trained Polish staff and ultimately now have to live with the knowledge that they train the Polish staff perhaps to potentially put themselves out of jobs. That's not the first time I'm hearing stories like that with big companies. Look, we saw it with cabarets. Uh, cabarets in the UK is non-existent now. Everything has been moved, moved abroad. We've seen it in other companies. Uh, it's not. It's nothing new. This is big companies. Like the, the reality here is that we do have a minister for enterprise, uh, and we have two junior ministers for enterprise as well, uh, and they have to spend their their time, or should be spending their time, minding these companies, keeping these companies in in check. But there's only so much you can go as well, and so much you can do. And do you know um, how, I, how long ILC Dover have been in Blarney? Um, I've been there a couple of years. I suppose they're about four or five years there, maybe longer. Okay, and would you know if there would have been tax breaks to open there? Um, For most of these kind of pharma companies, there would be. There would be. I wouldn't have the details that now, being honest with you. No, I mean, I don't Uh, want to imply anything that could be proven unproven, but I'm just wondering whether or not there would be tax breaks that would be availed of, and just when they're gone, people leave. You know, you pick up the Examiner, you pick up one of the, the Irish Times of the Independent, you see all these big job announcements that are happening in 2025, 2026, 2027. We'll have 100 jobs here in this. You know, you see these ministers standing in for photographs and all that. I wonder, I question how many of those jobs actually really happen. And to go the right way. But do you yeah. think, just very finally, it's about 110 jobs and a knock-on effect, obviously, for others, but do you think a lot of those jobs, maybe all of them are highly skilled, that hopefully that you'd be optimistic they would pick up work? Well, look, the economy is, is, is buoyant. The economy is busy. I'd be very hopeful for a lot of people. They see places like Eli Lindley advertising all the time, uh, looking for um, additional additional staff. Um, huge expansions going on there, which is great to see. Look, the reality is that, you know, there, there's, there's jobs out there. There mightn't always be the job out there for you. Uh, you know, in particular, I'm thinking about my own neighbours that depend on childcare, depend on everything, and the facility in Blarney was excellent. And them, people's you know, roots wouldn't be in Blarney near their job, right? Correct, correct. And look, you'll drop off your kids, the childminder, or there's a grandparent, or there's, you know, somebody nearby that's minding kids for you that, you know... There's all those facilities as well. So, look, it, it does have a huge impact on the community, to say the least. OK. Ken, thanks for taking the call. As always, Ken O'Flynn, Independent Councillor. Text 0868104106. If there's any employees of ILC Dover that would like to contribute, uh, always be aware that I will never give out personal details ever to anybody. So feel free to share. Text 0868104106. 
Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818-104-106. Red FM. On a free food Friday, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters, Perry Perry, Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. You'll get some delicious food. Every single week we feed between 15 and 20 people from Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park, uh, Rooster Perry Perry location. So if you want feeding, then we need to know who you are and where you're working. So text 0868-104-106 and we'll start the shout-outs around about a quarter past ten this morning. You'll get a whole load of food. Starters including chicken wings and chicken skewers and beef skewers and then the chicken wraps, chicken pitta and the most delicious uh, beef burgers basted in the famous Perry sauce. You'll get sides of Perry salted fries, rice and waffle fries, the Perry mayo and the garlic mayo and all the lovely things like that and then all these big cheesecakes and you can build your own cheesecake by putting all your own toppings on it. Lots of different ones, Kinder pieces and Nutella and Bueno, Kinder Bueno, stuff like that, Smarties, you know the way it works. So, text who you are and where you are to 086-8104-106 and we'll start those shout-outs around about a quarter past ten this morning. Let me just stay with the announcement of this closure and I've covered in quite an amount of detail because we have a lot of detail to work with um, and particularly those uh, comments coming from staff members at ILC Dover. But just on this, uh, historically, there was a sit-in began in the, on the 16th of December 2011 at Vita Cortex. It lasted 160 days until May 2012 after the workers started receiving redundancy payments. They sat in uh, and God knows we were with them each and every one of those days. One of them was Dan. Dan, good morning. Good morning, Neil. How are you? Uh, I just listened, I'm listening to your story this morning and uh, is, is that a union? Is there a union there? Excellent question. Right. Uh, excellent question. Yeah. No, I'm told. And, no. Yeah, right. And then, if, and then is all that mach- machinery being taken out of the plant then and brought out of the country? Uh, another fantastic question for which I don't know whether that equipment right. will go to Poland. So, right, what the tap should do then is... <laughs> If if they're if they're losing a job, they should blockade the blockade the plant, the plant, and I guarantee you they'll get plenty of cock people to go out and help them. Well, you mark my words. Yeah. They'll get plenty of cock people to go out and help them. As I was, I you mentioned via the cortex there. I finished via the cortex about eighty two or eighty three, and then there was a sit in two thousand ten or two thousand eleven. Yeah, and that went on for six months, and I knew one who had left Cider and I, I used to used to go to him, and he used to stay with him. That's right. A lot, like, a lot of former like, staff went out and and sat and 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 picked it and sat in with their they colleagues. Yeah. We did, and and then the ship to I think it was ship to at the time, and I wouldn't be look ship to left the workers there for six months. The sit-in was to prevent what? Um, anything being done in the plant? Equipment they, being I think they were looking for they were looking for a redundancy. Yeah, no, I know, so I know many, they were looking for redundancy, but the reason of the sit-in was to prevent anything coming in, anything going out, wasn't it? Well, of course, yeah, of course. A bit like the course. Debenhams workers who did something. Similar. Exactly, exactly, yeah. Neil, exactly. Yeah. So, so I just sent you the, those workers up the north side to say you should actually, should actually, if things go go bad and. What you're saying is quite possible. That will go bad. Well, it's definitely it's, it's confirmed by ILC. That's right. Yeah. Well, they should they shouldn't stop unless unless they get what they're entitled to. Texter said that Dell did the very same with staff training. The eventual takeover staff in Poland were also trained by yeah, Irish Dell staff. Right. This country that's is right. and has been flying on a corporate carpet for many years, and that's the big problem. It will bring us down at some stage down the road. Says Anthony. It's an awful thing to be training people to take exactly. your job, isn't it? Because, Neil, look, 
it was very nasty out, out, out of the management out, up there to get the staff to go to Poland. Is it Poland they were going to? Some it? came over from Poland and other staff That's members right. went to Poland. They went to, and to train them. Like, like those staff should have, those staff should have, should have kind of sensed what was going on. Well, they had been given an assurance at the time that it wouldn't impact right. the plants nor their jobs. I do. I can understand that as well. Like, but if if those if there was there's a lot of companies now right around the whole country, and there's no unions. Huh? No, there's foreign against unions. I can understand that as well. But if the unions were there, they might have some bit of power. Well, true enough. True enough. It might make a difference. Who knows? All right. Let's see, of course, Neil. Let's see what course. happens next. Thanks for that, Dan. Appreciate it. Thanks, Neil. Bye bye. Talking bye-bye. about people who are trying to um, just keep their heads above water, and when you get notice of redundancy, of course, particularly in October with Christmas just around the corner. It's never a good time, but that's not the best. Um, Many people, of course, are finding it difficult. I saw a text there recently because many have gone back to school now. There was an interesting one, actually, that I saw on Twitter from a Cat Conan. She says, FFS, the school is looking for €750 for a school tour to Valencia in Spain for three days. So expensive, €750. We have a very disappointed teenager in my house today. I suppose it'll be all picture and no sound for the next few weeks. Clearly, in the home, a cat has had, had to tell the teenager, we don't have the money, it's too expensive, you cannot go. Aren't tours like that really putting fierce pressure on families? I mean, I'm sure some can afford it in a heartbeat, but there's got to be many in the class whose parents just could not find €750 Euro for a school tour tour to anywhere. This one, of course, to Valencia in Spain. Anybody else feeling the pinch when you get news home from the school like that? And how do you react to it? How do you tell a child that they can't go? Text 0868104106. I feel like I'm always moaning about the same thing. I work very, very hard, as does my husband. I have a child starting secondary school. Well, by the time this text came in, they're back already. And everything else in this day and age is costing us a fortune. Why? Because we're married. We own our own home. We work full time. We barely make ends meet. I don't expect any help in the budget. We aren't entitled to anything. But we have family members unmarried and in social housing, not working and both getting social welfare payments with a child the same age as ours, going to secondary school, boasting about getting a €1,000 back-to-school allowance. We got zip. I'm just wondering, does anyone else find it unfair, to say the least? But not only that, I know most of this money is actually being spent in other ways and not on the kids. I can't understand it. People are getting a payment for school supplies, but why is it not paid for in voucher form at least? Uh, I know I don't have to remind you, don't give out my personal details. Text 0868106, if you're struggling particularly, text 0868104106 as I go back to the phone lines. Pamela, good morning. Hi, how are you? This country is just falling apart if it hasn't done so already. Talk to me about the radiation equipment at the CUH. Um, oh, basically... Um, no, tell me about uh, yourself I... first, if you don't mind. Go ahead. Um, yeah, okay. So um, I'm from Limerick, but I used to work in Mallow. So I listen to you all the time for years. Thank you. Um, but, um, yeah, I found basically um, a lump in my breast last... Um, November and I had it removed in February and then I had to have three months of chemo and then um, we had the radiotherapy so um, the radiotherapy should have been like six weeks after the like either your surgery or your chemo yes, yes. Um, but there's so much of a backlog that I had to wait um, 
was like 11 weeks. Um, even though I did meet another lady there who didn't have to have chemo. And she was getting radiotherapy at the same time as me. So she had a, a longer gap of waiting in between. Um, but I've had like, say, um, I was meant to be in last Thursday week and the machine broke down. Um, so I've eight sessions missed now. And I was, they did get it up and running yesterday. Um, they had it running at like five o'clock and I was meant to be in at like quarter to 10 last night. And I got a phone call um, at like half eight saying that it had broken down again. Um, I just really just wanted to kind of like the, like the nurses and the staff in there are like amazing. They're and so where good. is your treatment? In Limerick. Yeah. Is it, yeah <laughs> in Limerick, yeah, sorry. Yeah. And why can't they just get an engineer to fix it? They have, they've been, they like, they're very good. They've been ringing every day. Um, but they've been, I don't know, looking for some part and I'm not sure. I know that the engineer um, hadn't even arrived back in Dublin yesterday evening when I had broken down again. So they're waiting probably for him to come back down again now today. Waiting for a part? They were waiting for a part, yeah, for a while. Um, How long has this gone on? Since last Thursday week. So... um, That's like eight days. Yeah, I've missed eight days of it. But you and everybody Uh, else getting radiation treatment is also missed. Yes. Well, whoever got it that Thursday, I would be either seven or eight days, like, and maybe some got it yesterday, but there's a good few of us that haven't gotten it. And, you know, like, we're meant to get this, say, to, like, just meant to be continuous. You're not meant to have any missed days. And, like, by having missed days, like, it puts us in a higher risk of it. Absolutely. It's the final stage in getting rid of something that you never wanted, as in cancer. Well, yes. Why, why yes. wasn't the option given to go and use the equipment of the facilities in Cork? Um, I think all our measurements and stuff are on that machine and there hasn't, like, I don't know what will happen, like, if the machine doesn't get up and running. Like, I'm, like, only kind of, well, I think I'm young. I'm, like, 42. You are young. And um, I have three small kids, you know, so, like, I want every possible, the best chance that I can possibly get and everyone else who's going through this, you know, they want uh, the best chance that we can all get to kind of, like, not have this, come back again. So if someone were um, to say to you, unfortunately machines break down, we need to get parts, it's unfortunate we apologise, but there's nothing we can do about it. That that doesn't belay your worries of course and fears. No, God, that's only just more I've been very positive all along but like at the moment I'm kind of just a bit down now at the minute and I'm I kind know. of like more anxious I and know. the worry I suppose that you know, that it could come back Um so I just kind of, I know Matthew McGrath brought it to the Minister of Health yesterday. Um, so he knows about it now. Um, it's just, I suppose, it's not its not good enough for no, people it's not. who it's have a shame. And, and cancer, you know? Yeah, and you, there's no indication as to when the machine would be up and running again, is there? Well, she was, the nurse now was very, very apologetic yesterday when she, when she rang me. She was like, you can scream and roar at me if you want, but like, God love her, it's not her fault. Um, but she did, I, she said they'll, they'll give me a call again today. We're just waiting. I mean, God knows how many others are yes, just waiting. Yes, bear, bear in mind that an awful lot of people, certainly in North Cork and to an extent West Cork, use the radiation equipment in Limerick. So uh-huh. it's, very, it's very relevant to us as well as people in Limerick and patients in Cork. Okay, that's you know. good. I just want to kind of... No, just it's not good. Like I mean, there's a lot of people impacted. 
Oh, it is, yeah. No, no, I'm just saying, like, it's good that I bring you, that, yeah, you know, yeah, to make it, yeah, yeah. to make it known. Um, yeah, I just want to kind of just know and maybe just maybe a bit of pressure put on or, you know, because it's not good enough for Oh, well, for certainly, adults. certainly there be, we'll be making an inquiry as to what's going on there. Um, but try not to worry too much, you know. I know it's easy for me to say, but, <laughs> you know, try not to think about it 24-7 and hopefully you'll be back on course again to a full recovery. All right. Yes, yes, hopefully, hopefully. All and thanks for taking my call. Okay, and take you. care. All the best. Cheers. Okay, thanks, take man. care. Bye. Um, interesting, another text from a former ILC Dover staff member. ILC Dover were in Cork 17 years. They started in Little Island and moved to Blarney only about three years ago. They also let 40 staff go in August, but they were all contracted, so there was never any mention of that when contracted staff were let go. They were a lovely company to work for. It was on the cards since they opened the plant in Poland that this was going to happen. Okay, all right, uh, on the cards, but all of the different paperwork and backward and forth to staff and indeed responses to war queries didn't give me that impression. Uh, Just a quick one, this side of 10. Um, Jennifer, good morning. Oh, good morning. Um, Just a quick one on the, you're talking about uh, a breast check issue and screening. Uh, That'd be Anglesey Street, wasn't it? Exactly, exactly. Okay, okay. okay. Um, because everybody so needs yesterday. to get... Re- yeah, go ahead, go ahead. Yeah, I rang yesterday and basically I was told that there's a 12-month delay now going forward. So people are going to have to wait 12 months to get their their mammogram. What was it normally? Um, well, I, I don't know. Usually it was probably a few months. Um, but uh, they, they did warn me that um, it's 12 months now going forward. So I was just a bit surprised at that. Uh, is is it a case? Is it a case that you just get um, a, a date in the post? It just arrives. No, it does. It does, or by text. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And if you're over fifty, it should be what every couple of years. Two years. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, uh, so when you hit two years, they're telling you, okay, well, you're supposed to have another check now, but it could be another year. Exactly. Well, that's worrying, isn't it? Yeah, I was. I was very surprised yesterday. And why did they say that? Why is it that way? They've just they just upgraded the facility. I actually don't know. That's why I said I'd bring in. But a delay of a year could be without a diagnosis could mean the difference between life and death. Absolutely, absolutely. Oh my God! I don't know what's going on. Thanks, Jennifer. Appreciate that update. Text oh eight six eight one zero four one zero six. Back after ten. Prenderville Show, Red FM. Right, a fabulous text from Pat. I absolutely love the text. We're talking about school tours uh, and a mother who says she has to disappoint a teenager who won't be going on a three-day trip to Valencia because it would cost €750 and they just don't have it. Puts undue pressure on families, doesn't it? It really does. I mean, we talk at the same time of uh, kids getting breakfast in school and getting meals in school and in the UK they're talking about helping them to brush their teeth in school Uh, and at the same time school tours that... um, are just very, very expensive for for many families. Anyway, Pat says, back in my secondary school days, 94 to 2000, I never used to tell my folks about the school tours. A working class household, I knew we just didn't have the equivalent of a thousand euro to send me off on a jolly skiing trip. I recall uh, there used to be some teachers who were all about the middle class kids going. In fact, I wouldn't have wanted to go anyway. Now I am a high income myself, through my own hard work in breaking the class barrier, a thousand euro isn't a huge amount of money to me. I don't mean to sound crass, and you don't. 
However, I wouldn't waste it on a school tour for a petulant, ungrateful teenager. Can't talk up the walls. Thank you for Pat. That's a beautifully structured text and I thank you for it. And to everybody else that gets in touch. Maybe we were talking about um, till etiquette yesterday because Lana was chatting with me as about with regards to people who are on the phone when they're checking out at the checkout. More often than not now, you'll find that you've got to do your own checking out. They have the other tills that you do and scan yourself. Uh, some people love them. Others hate them, depending on how much you need to actually scan through. If it's a big shop, you're in big trouble. Before, it was like for three or four items, but now you're finding these self-scanning things are for everything. Anyway, when I was working in the checkout in Dunn's, if someone was on the phone, I would talk to them and I would interrupt their conversation by talking to them. Good for you. Um, With regards to the speed of which they actually... uh, you know, scan the products in your Lidl and Aldi. Apparently they're on a timer, an item a second. Pull a few barcodes off a few items. You won't be long halting the checkout staff's gallop. (laughs) The programme on Aldi said, when you go into the storeroom, you must have something in your hand. When stacking shelves, you watch the person beside you and you do it faster. Isn't that amazing? I mean, talking about productivity. And then, because they got the Walls chips, which are made down in Whitegate, and they're chipper chips. They're delicious. Check them out. They're in the chill cabinets. They're not in the freezer cabinets. Um, Desi says, there's a difference between frozen chips and chilled chips in a bag. They have a fridge life of about 21 days. Chilled chips, the moist, the moisture is drawn out of them, which makes the centre of the chip fluffier, unlike the frozen chips, which would have a big water content, says Desi. Thank you for that. I Now I explain. Now it explains to me as to why the chipper chips were so delicious. You never really get that with the frozen chip, although the air fryer helps. If you like the chips you were talking about in the air, try the Aldi beef dripping chips. Heavenly, says Donal. Actually, the Wall's chipper chips are also uh, pre-cooked in beef dripping as well, which is what they do in Dino's, actually. It's all, it's all, it's all dripping or the equivalent to it. Then we were talking about restaurant charges uh, and there was one text came in which I don't have in front of me. I think the gist of the story was they went in to a restaurant, um, two of them sat down, one person ordered a sandwich with chips and then asked for a second plate and was charged an extra €3.50 for the plate because they wanted to share the um, chips and the sandwich. That actually was Nash 19. So in relation to the €3.50 charge for the plate in the restaurant, that should not be allowed. Will they be adding surcharges for someone who goes in alone for food because the table sits two people? Honestly, that is just greed from the restaurant. Uh, Don't know about that. We spoke to Claire Nash from Nash 19 uh, yesterday today. Um, a lot of texts on it, in fact. Um, you don't have to go across the water, the text said, for these nonsense restaurant charges. This is the Nash 19 text. Two weeks ago, we decided to share a sandwich and chips with the person. Not only was the cost of the sandwich ridiculous at €13.90, but they were charged uh, three fifty for the extra plate because they were sharing. Um, now, I had also said yesterday that in France, they will fine you and charge you extra if you take too much food from the buffet and don't eat it. And others charged a couple of euro for a spoon, a second spoon to share a dessert. Anyway, Claire Nash yesterday confirmed that it is €3.50 for a spare plate only in the afternoon. And Claire says that it's down to the cost of having a second person sitting down the napkins involved, the cutlery involved, the crockery involved, etc., etc. 
She said to us that the industry is really struggling and made all of the above points, but also said that people don't understand all of the extra costs that go into having people in the restaurant. So that was the response from Nash 19. Fair enough. So €3.50 is the price that's been put on a plate to share the sandwich and the chips. I'm quite sure it was quite delicious. Um, Why in the name of God, though, would two people go into a restaurant and sit down and only one order, and you even share the... Why? Why? Um, I mean, was it, was it a case that you were short of money? Uh, or was it that I want to get some food and the other person isn't hungry? Um, I, I know it happens. It happens a lot in pub settings where you might go in with a few pals or what have you, and you might have a pint, and another person might have a pint of water, so there's no charge for the pint of water. You're taking up a seat and stuff like that. We see it in the age-old arguments. I don't know, Kevin, do you remember as a young fellow, do you, you remember getting going into the pub Raza. and you get Raza, yeah. Dose, yeah. some charged for it, others gave it for free. Yeah. Um, but I, she says that it's a, t- it's a table with two chairs, they're taking up a chair, it's the napkins, the cutlery, the cross the cleaning up after two people. But the whole idea of going in and sharing a sandwich in a sit-down restaurant is bizarre to me. Really? Yeah. We spent the whole holiday doing that. We went on a sandwich. We go in and we get a pizza. and We'd, we'd split the pizza. we just say, can we get a pizza for between two? Just one pizza between two? We didn't want the full pizza. We didn't want to pay for a pizza each. So we just got a pizza and got them to half it down the middle and put it on a plate. I mean, why, why, it, why, it saves food but waste, who can't eat a full, Who can't eat a full pizza, man? Well, we couldn't. I mean, if you're if you're having a big breakfast and then you're saying, "Look, I want something for lunch, but I don't necessarily want to be spending and eating a full pizza," go in and ask for just just share a pizza. And I can tell you, we did it all across the continent, and not single one single restaurant charges three euro fifty for a plate. Yeah, but well, but they are in Europe. If you you did you ask for a second plate though? We did. Okay, and they you never know got, the French we never ones got that charged. are charging for. Ah, uh, yeah, I know, and I know the about the one spoons. in Lake Como where they're charging two euro to cut the sandwich in half. I mean, restaurants can charge whatever they want, but that doesn't mean they should. You know what I mean? Like, I don't know. I, I, I think I would in this world of food waste and all that. I would much rather somebody like us order a pizza and eat a pizza than to be ordering a pizza each and then leaving half it behind us to be okay. thrown in the bin. It's here's, just an unnecessary waste. Okay, here's the solution to it. And I'd like to get people's thoughts on this. I have some text. Text 0868104106. The thing to do is to go in to people, order your sandwich and chips, sit down, don't ask for a second plate and both of you eat it off the same plate. You won't incur a €3.50 charge then. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, you can do that fast back and forward. Yeah. All right, yeah, we also very regularly will order separate dishes and then swap plates halfway through the dinner. Because we we oh, I'd love I'd love to try that. Oh, I'd love you're to try a, that. You're a, you're a, actually that's a bit of fun. Go on, finish. I know what. Go I was on. Say, go you're on. a ball of laughs to go out for food with. If you no, ask, I mean, if you ask me to share my <laughs> chips, pal. I know we're talking about phobias this morning. Forget about really? it. I don't want strangers putting their fingers. I, into my I'm bowl talking chips. about going out now with the girlfriend. I'm not talking about going out with strangers. But the two of us would like she might get uh, a burger and I get pasta, and we'd kind of swap fleas and we just swap the plates. That's so romantic. Oh, yeah, that's happy so days. lovey-dovey. Yeah. All right. Who in the name of God, Neil shares a sandwich anyway. Well, this did happen. In relation to the three or fifty charge for the rest, the plate in the restaurant, that should not be allowed. Will they be adding surcharges for someone who goes in alone because the table sits too? Uh, Neil, I was in a restaurant recently. Beautiful monkfish and boiled spuds, thirty-two euro. When I asked the waitress for some veggies, she told me to consult. 
the menu and informed me that carrots and broccoli were €9. Needless to say, I passed and I won't be dining there again. In the first place, you should not have got monkfish and boiled potatoes for €32 without getting vegetables served as well. That's extortionate. I remember a few years ago, I brought my mother to McDonald's and as she doesn't eat loads, she ordered a Happy Meal with a coffee. The girl at the checkout said... We don't serve coffee with a Happy Meal. I wasn't impressed, so I decided to write an email to head office explaining my situation. They have since changed the policy. Elderly people are not able to eat full meals. Why penalise them? There's a lot going on in that text because you would not give a Happy Meal and a scalding hot coffee to a child. Um, And I can understand that. Maybe you were asking them to substitute the soft drink or the milk or whatever for the coffee. And of course... They wouldn't do that because the orders are do not give happy meals with coffee because once we had uh, problems and got sued by someone whose child got scalded by coffee. But I suppose the difference here is that elderly people are not able to eat full meals and that is so true. I mean, I have exper- I had experiences of that with my beautiful and wonderful mother-in-law who loved a burger, didn't want a big one, didn't want huge portions. And when she discovered that there was such a thing as a happy meal at McDonald's, she was in her element because the food amounts were smaller and the burgers were smaller as well. We spoke a lot then about customer service in general, and I'll come back to that and lots more besides. And Free Food Friday shout-outs after the break. Get it off your chest. Call Neil Prenderville now on 0818-104-106. Red FM. The Timoney GoFundMe dispute, an internal family dispute over money is nobody's business. That's an interesting text. However, does that not change when it's a GoFundMe where the public have contributed to it over 100 grand? and then it becomes an internal family dispute with the American family as to who should have it and what it should be spent for. Uh, come on. A fool and their money are easily parted. GoFundMe, another scam. Um, unfortunately, GoFundMe does from time to time become a place for making money uh, under at least, let me put it this way, suspicious circumstances. If he's any respect, he would hand the money back. He is, is he highlighting the true person he actually is? I mean, what, what do you do with this? He was a tourist who came to Ireland and got a very bad beating. Uh, on the budget and stuff like that, I work full I work full time remotely. I've noticed my weight going up from lack of movement. I just bought an under-the-desk treadmill, waiting for it to arrive. The government should offer tax relief on exercise products, whether it's supplements or equipment. It beats them paying millions on people's medical bills. I 100% agree with you. But you know something? Because you're working for a living and working hard, they probably will never help you. Uh, it would also be great, was talking about the passing of Dave Halpin this morning, it would be great if Neil could mention how Dave Halpin from Eco was so generous with his time. Charity donations, donations, and he was the driving force in the Rotary in Cork. Dave Halpin helped an awful lot of people over 40 years in Cork. May he rest in peace. Thank you for that. And then I will get back to a a call um, or two now in a second, but ILC Dover, big response to that. ILC Dover is the start of job losses. Looking at message boards around the US stock markets, people are predicting a massive crash within 12 months. This will result, result in US firms relocating to countries with cheaper workforces, hence Mexico, hence Poland. People are also predicting that the recession that will follow will be like nothing we've seen before. Thank you, Pat. That's lovely to hear as we head into what should be a nice weekend. Um, Our attractiveness to business is 
waning due to multiple local factors. It's not really about lower wages anymore. It's about the cost of rent, rates and energy, where we are the highest in Europe. There are other factors and packages that are very competitive in Europe and the UK to attract inward investment. Ireland was on top for a long time, but it's not the case anymore. The government are complacent. Um, There's much headwind uh, in the future. Um, where are the politicians now when this company in Blarney is closing down, like Vita Cortex, Debenhams, and the Unpost Mail Centre, losing hundreds of jobs? Again, every single one of them are a disgrace, our government. They're, these are the people that voted in these clowns in INC Dover. They probably voted for it. Shame on every single one of them. They should be ran out from the doors of people's homes when they come looking for a vote. A bunch of self-grabbing parasites. Um, I feel very sorry for the employees of this company, but this was inevitable. Poland and Mexico are doing what Ireland did 20 or 30 years ago to countries like Holland and Germany. It was, however, the duty of governments during that time to invest the tax take in infrastructure and education so we could get higher value jobs. And it was the media's job to make sure the government did their duty. Last thing we need now is less regulation and red tape on business and a race to the bottom. Um, things will only get worse for employees. Uh, and one final one, how can the government magic up billions of euro to house 100,000 people in 12 months, leave a billion euro from the EU set unclaimed, and people are dying due to our health system? A solution could be pay for overtime, um, get backlogs cleared, pay to fix machines in the health service, Go to the EU, claim an emergency situation, which is what Ireland is in at the moment. Um, let me just get back to one or two calls on this. Uh, Paddy is online. Well, Paddy, good morning. Uh, good morning. Neil. At the end of the day, of course, your ILC Dovers are about one thing, profit. Exactly. The um, multinational, any multinational corporations, just, I mean, let's say they're, they're private for-profit companies. That is that, that is what they're about. So I think we're agreed at this stage that, yeah, as much as you can for um, the shareholders. So I think we're agreed at yeah. this stage that when we hear of these closures where the business is actually not going bust but moving to, say, Poland or Mexico, it's about saving costs and increasing profit. It's increasing profit. I mean, it's definitely obvious that's what they do. That is all they do is profit. Um, but what 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 uh, question I had about it was that this has happened... This has happened all through our history. Every multinational company that's in here, they're... Uh, Dunlop's went. Uh, you, you were saying... Like, Ford's uh, went. You mentioned, them, yeah. you mentioned them there. Yeah, Vita Cortex, Irish Steel, for example. Even locally, you don't me, all carpets. All companies, you know, that are for profit. And if they see that they can make more profit in some other jurisdiction at the top of that, they'll, they'll just... Well, when, with with regards to your carpets, do you know who yeah. are, where they continued to make the carpets after it closed in your... I think it went to India. Now I might be, you know, trying to be corrected there, but it did. But they, but they continued to the manufacture. They closed it. They moved everything, the machinery out, you know, and, and continued. The demand is still there. I I was on the ICL Dover site just now and looking at their, by, you know, by their own reports, the demand for their products is growing. What do they make? Uh, they make pharmaceutical. Embellage, I think it's coverings and things like that. Okay, and you know, and uh, and but by their own admission, the, the the company is growing. It's growing. So the only reason they are moving out of Ireland is to optimize their profit. But my my question is that when this happens with these multinationals, they're allowed to 
fold everything up. They can even get away with uh, not paying any compensation. They can move all the machinery out of the country. And, um, That's it. you know, no, no cost to them. They can do that. But my question is... And also, just they, before you ask the, the question, but also yeah. just on that point, right, what they're moving yeah. to Poland is exactly the work that was being done in Blarney. You know, it, it will continue, exactly. but it in another country. Except with more profit. But the Polish they one, for sure, profit. is a new plant. Yeah. All right. So this, but, I mean, the, the this is very, very suspicious. Yeah. So, I mean, yes, look, the, 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 the work is there for the company. It, it, it's growing. Uh, there is more and more demand for their products. By their, by, this is according to their own report on their own, on their own site. But what I wonder about is, when this does happen, you know, can a government not step in here and take over that company and run it, no. not for non-profits? Can no. they not do that? Can they not keep it? And, and I'm wondering why not? Why can it not be run Listen, by the people that are already inside I, there? I the administration, the head of a co-op. Yeah, I'm neither an I am neither an administrator, a receiver, a mediator, nor a negotiator. But one thing I'm sure of: it's a private yeah. company, so you can't seize their assets. Frustrating. That, you know. Don't you think you, you you just couldn't like it's you know, privately owned? I mean, uh, it's privately owned, but I, I mean the, the profit they have made to afford all this machinery and to run this business for profit they have been doing for years, and they do this uh, on the tax breaks. I, I often ask them when the tax breaks run out, companies seem to kind of run that out around. Historically, well. did happen too. I can't say it, that with it, regards it, to it, YLC it, Dover. It, it, to exactly. be fair, yeah. yeah. So why why not? I mean, uh, okay, change laws. I don't care what, whatever needs to be done to change that so that people can step in and take over that company themselves and leave them off to Poland then if they want. The, you know, the work is still there. Mm. The, uh, the demand for their products is still there. So why not run that company non-profit? As I say, take because, it over and run it. Yeah. Oh, I know, but as a, as a, as a private company, you just can't do that. And where would your roots to business be? You know, you'd have to, have to find a complete yeah, new market. That's already this. Yeah, but it's... The company is there, working. Yeah, yeah. I, know, I know what profits, you're saying. I know what you're profits, saying. Profits, profits. I know. If it went... Profits, we mentioned it there, if it went bust <laughs> and it went into liquidation, you might say something like that. Yes. But this is a shift of everything and the continuation of the business in a different com- country, you know, as in yes, this case. It's not unique. It happens... It happens all the time. Yeah. Time after time, you know? Yeah. Oh, I know. It's the I same know. thing. It's cruel. Any, any closure... No, no regard losses. for the employees, the people there, or their, their livelihoods, or, you know... Yeah, you mentioned your carpets, uh, 2002. That was followed yeah. by the closure of East Cork Foods, another 100 jobs. Irish Ispat yeah. and Hall Boland, 300 jobs uh, bought by an Indian company and then wound down. That was quite, uh, that was quite unfortunate, yeah. uh, mind you. Yeah. You know, what we have there now is a beautiful park. Yeah. At least we got something out of it. Thanks, Paddy. Appreciate yeah. it. No problem. No Text 0868104106. You want to know something about customer service there recently? I got a beautiful handwritten letter. And my apologies. I've had it for far too long, but it's beautifully written. You want to talk about customer service? Um, and I got a lovely letter which said, I'm writing to this letter because one, I can't email, and two, I figure if I went to the trouble of writing out an actual letter, you might actually get to read it out. Now, apologies for taking so long to read it, but we are talking about customer service of late. When I heard you talking about customer service, I had to write to you about the residence bar in Blarney Street. This little gem should give lessons in hospitality. Janice and Stephen, the owners, always go the extra mile. The stove is always lit. There's always nice music, never blaring. The pints are creamy, 
but the attention to the customers is superb. Pensioners are treated with respect and courtesy. Taxis are magically got for people. Spare umbrellas are no problem. A smile, a chat and a good word for everyone. I can't actually sign this because the slag would be unbelievable. Just say it's from an appreciative, loyal customer. I just think that is fantastic. And that's from all the Blarney Street drinkers, particularly those that frequent the residence bar on Blarney Street. Take a bow. Be great to get more texts like that when we talk about customer service because all too often it is quite negative. Uh, And I have more to do on that. Can I do the shout-outs, the first bunch of shout-outs, if you don't mind, for free food Friday morning to everybody at Pat McDonald Paints on the Commons Road. They're in the middle of a stock take, so good morning to Craig and all of the gang. O'Connell's Butchers and the Lock, fabulous meats. Uh, Mulrock Construction and Turner's Cross. They're entering for this week. Surely our time has come to win. For everybody at Foam Services on Barrick Street to Ego Hair Salon and Cove, we're working very hard and listening to Ross and all of the lads with the ready mix trucks for RPC haulage in Granada always hungry. To Jackie and the gang at Dairy Go Co-op Superstars, Superstores who are listening in Mallow. I'm sure they are superstars as well. And to everybody at GRP Roofing Supplies and Tremoral Commercial Park. Um, everybody including Karen and her colleagues at the Pharmacy Department at the South Infirmary. Uh, I'd like to nominate the ground floor staff at Haven Bay Nursing Home, Kinsale. They looked after my mother Frances Carney from Bandon and that's from Amanda. Can I suggest the staff for the INCU in the COMH for Free Food Friday? I don't work there but my baby have been there for the past 10 weeks and will be there for a long time to come. The staff are amazing. I live in Tipperary and I have to practically move down here, leave the dogs behind, but they made us feel safe and feel at home. They look after our babies so well, we trust them completely. So that's the NICU, the ICU for the CUMH. Trina, main reception in the CUH, would love to share it with staff. And all of the girls of Prestige Hair in Glanmire, Jenny, Laura, Chloe, Carla, Kaylee, Kira, Rachel and Kerry. Uh, and one or two more here. Cargoline Cheese would love feeding today. Bronx and all of the crew at Hepburn Professionals. Um, to the gang at uh, Meraki in Glanmire. To Northside Tires. To Power Aggregates and Carrick Tool would love a feed of luxury. The hang sandwich made last night was just not appealing. Uh, the Stafford Corabeg uh, Plant Nursery and Ovens as well would love a treat. So would everybody at Rockwell Engineering, everybody at Koshala, the social housing project in Kenturk, to the gang at Marymount. They're holding a coffee morning to fundraise. It would be a fantastic touch to feed the staff. Uh, to everybody at Stryker, including Jerry, whose 60th is today. Cove Transport in Montanati, Route 14 Bar and Restaurant in Toker, and the gang at St. Bridges Ward in the Mercy Hospital. Good morning to Antone. So keep those texts coming. Text who you are and where you are to 0868104106. Talk to Neil Prendeville now. 0818104106. Cork's Red FM. Thank you to everybody who recently uh, responded to our texts and poll with regards to fears and phobias. We were asking the question. I think it was sparked by Kylie Minogue saying she had a fear of clothes hangers. And then she went off and she bought her own range of clothes hangers and coat hangers and what have you. But some of the responses from you guys included swans. Absolutely terrified. Can't walk alongside the river in the city if they're there. I start scratching until I'm out in hives. Spiders. Can't walk into a room without checking every corner. Uh, Sponges. Feet. I dread them. Another fear and phobia is the cost of living. Another one, not a strange one, but flying. Many spider fears. My God, I'm 53 and my mum was the same. All I remember years 
years ago was that I was sitting down enjoying a cone when my brother put a spider in it. Ever since then, I'd have a, I would have to roar for my husband to kill them. You should never kill a spider. Either leave it alone or try and get it out there. But somebody with a fear of five spiders, spiders would never be able to do that. Um, not an unusual one, but many people have an issue with uh, spiders. Um, <laughs> red sauce. It makes me shiver. There are many strange ones. Phobia and fear of governments and banks worldwide. Um, I'm claustrophobic. I have a fear of enclosed spaces. I needed two different MRIs. I bottled both of them. Can't do it. Fear of crows makes my skin crawl. There's actually a phobia for that. A fear of cling film. A fear of opening my gas bill. I used to have a fear of wedding cake, but I got over it for some reason probably got married. Fear of birds. I know as someone who has a phobia for a hard day's work. Whenever there's, the, whenever there's the slight showing of a hard day's work, he disappears. Fear of losing connection to the internet. Fear of mice, cats, mechanics, and as I said, more than one person with a fear of ketchup. There is an A to Z of phobias, actually. There are many of them. Uh, and I heard recently an excellent interview with Brendan Kelly, the professor of psychiatry, who's right across this on our Phobia Friday and joins me by phone. Brendan, good morning. Good morning. You've heard it all. I just gave you a selection. Some of them are tongue-in-cheek from listeners to this program. Nothing surprising, I'd say, No. No, I mean, a phobia is a persistent and excessive fear of an object or situation, and it leads to avoidance. So the classic one that came up there a number of times was spiders, but also things like uh, swans and birds are relatively common. And of course, the fear of uh, social situations comes out as social phobia as well and can be very debilitating for some people. Yeah, certainly the enclosed spaces, claustrophobia, we hear that an awful lot, right? Yeah, we do. And, you know, there's a certain sense to some of these. I mean, the particular fear of spiders is thought maybe to have an evolutionary origin because there was a time when it was entirely appropriate. In certain places, it's entirely appropriate to be very um, anxious and afraid of spiders and avoid them. Now, it's not always the case when it's a tiny, tiny little spider in the distant corner of a room, but it, it seems that evolutionary fear hangs over. And as one, um, one of your listeners said there, uh, phobias can run in families. Um, so often, uh, parents and children will have very similar phobias. That's because, and I've heard it in the past, where a mother um, might scream and roar when she sees a mouse or a spider and there are children present and they pick up on that, is it? Well, that's partly it. It's partly a learned response from parents. But there does seem to be a a genetic predisposition. Genetically, all right, that's different. So if there are phobias in your family, then you're kind of geared up to be more likely to get phobias during your life. And then what you're phobic of will depend on, you know, what happens to you. And and maybe you see your parents uh, demonstrating their phobias and you'll pick those up. But you do start at an increased risk from the get-go. Does that become um, like a social anxiety disorder of sorts then? It can do. Social anxiety is really a phobic avoidance of performing in public. And that performing might mean talking in a group or mean eating in a group, you know, going out with a group of people and eating. And they might, uh, you might think people are watching you or feel anxious, you might do it wrongly or something like that. And the thing is, most people with these phobias, they know the anxiety is too much. They know it's excessive, but nonetheless, here it is. What's the most common of them all? I know there's an A to Z, but what one is the big one, the big phobia? Well, there's the social phobia, which is which is very common, and then um, agoraphobia, which uh, which is social phobia, basically. The fear of 
Closed spaces would be the next one, the claustrophobia, the fear of lifts and similar things. And then when you get to very specific phobias, you'd start with the fear of spiders, which is very, very common. And then you would end up with, uh, at the other end of the list, with things that barely exist, like something called anatodiaphobia, which is apparently the fear of ducks watching you. Ducks. Well, I did get a text of a fear of swans. Why would somebody have a fear of a duck or a swan? Well, a fear of swans, I suppose, is not unreasonable. Swans are quite ferocious and, you know, if, if you step in the wrong place, they, they can flap their wings and it's all very disturbing. Uh, a fear of ducks watching you seems like uh, a highly uh, unlikely to occur and probably not one of the gripping public health problems of our time. No, I, I just looked at the A to Z, actually, which you probably know backwards. There's a fear of bathing, a fear of being touched. Obviously, I get it when people say a fear of thunder and lightning. That can be fairly prone. Another few, a fear of being ridiculed. Another one I accept as being well documented is a fear of dentists. Will I give you another few? One or two more. A fear of water, I can understand. A fear of insects. There's one here called a fear of buttons, a fear of cooking, a fear of weight gain, a fear of kissing. Obviously, I get a fear of flying and a fear of fire, a fear of sleep and a fear of beautiful women. Are are some of those unreasonable fears or are they genuinely problematic? Well, some of them are clearly not genuinely problematic. To be a phobia, there needs to be a persistent excessive fear and avoidance of the stimulus, the object or the situation that causes significant distress. So, you know, a lot of those things like being afraid of the government, opening your bills and being afraid of a day's work are very reasonable. Even the fear, anxiety about an MRI scan. MRI scans are very important, but the the scanners are quite tight. So I think most people feel a little bit of anxiety about them. What's really interesting, though, Neil, are the odd ones that come up again and again, like anxiety about ketchup or red sauce and anxiety about cling film. Why? I I don't know. I mean, a lot of people don't like ketchup, but some people do appear to have this developed into uh, a phobic level. And I think one of your listeners mentioned it. Is it related to perhaps the similarity to blood, do you think, or something like that? I'm just thinking out loud. Yeah, I guess it could be. And there could be different explanations. I mean, the anxiety about sponges and cling film are a little harder to explain. It's hard to find an evolutionary role for being afraid of cling film. But um, I know some people find tin foil or kitchen foil uh, utterly intolerable and avoid it at all at all lengths as well. And They're I kind of sensorial, aren't they? The cling film or the tin foil or the sponge, it's maybe feel related perhaps? And that could also apply to some of the other ones. Uh, yeah, the sponge, but also the spiders are interesting. That's not just evolutionary, but they're so so small and wiggly and get all over the place that they seem set up to um, almost uh, structured in order to make us anxious that they might get everywhere. And also, I suppose spiders, they're not the prettiest little critters either, sure they're not? No, no, no. There's very, li- very little by way of people singing the beauty of spiders um, or other insects uh, to, to be found. So, yeah, I suppose poor old spiders get a fairly raw deal in this And it, it, talk to me with regards to the different sexes then, say male and female, um, you know, are, are, are some exclusively women and are some exclusively men, the fears? Well, oh, oh, I mean, are men oh, oh, afraid of spiders and mice as much as women are? No, there are differences across the genders. Women are twice as likely to have a phobia as men are. But then women are are also twice as likely to be diagnosed with anxiety disorders and depression and so forth. Around 10% of the population has a phobia that's causing them a bit of difficulty at any given moment. And yeah, the subjects 
that do change. Interestingly, Neil, social phobia, uh, this sort of performing in public or speaking in public or you know, being, being in informal social groups does appear equally uh, prevalent across uh, men and women. So there are some differences in themes, but there's a lot of commonality as well. So there will be a phobia of being in um, a social circle with other people. It could be eating food. It could be just sitting down. A fear of conversation or something. It's like anxiety. But, but is that not shyness, though, no? Yeah, to a point, it is shyness. And a lot of shy people would be anxious about those situations and maybe even avoid them. It becomes a phobia if that avoidance is excessive and it's causing distress in the person's life. And, you know, it's interesting. It is those uh, situations you mentioned that cause the problems, eating in public and chatting in a group. Um, often somebody with a social phobia will manage to do a formal presentation okay because it's very structured, it's very safe, you know, but sometimes the unstructured social interactions are where the phobia kicks in. Yeah, I'm just thinking as well about, say, fear of riding in a car, a maxophobia or fear of flying, aerophobia, they are life-changing, aren't they? They really impact on you. If you're in a car, you have this fear that what? You're going to crash, worse if you're a passenger, and you're going to die, is it? That, that, that fear can be there. And the problem with phobias is there's always a little logical bit of the person's brain telling them that this anxiety is excessive. It's too much. It's illogical. So, Phobias are often conflictual. The person feels the anxiety, even though there's a logical bit of their brain telling them, look, this is pretty safe. I mean, for people who are uh, affected by phobias, uh, there are psychological treatments that can help to reduce the problems the phobia is causing, or if you like, turn down the volume on the phobia um, through cognitive therapy and desensitization and things like this, because some of these can become very disabling while others of them, like the uh, fear of cling film, can be managed fairly well. That is amazing. A couple of years back, I had a lady on the air with me um, and I recall it like as if it was yesterday and she was way overdue. Her teeth were in an awful state. She was in chronic pain and bleeding. She was literally in hysterical tears on the air, I can tell you, Brendan. Um, And she needed to go to the dentist, but she had dentophobia, the fear of dentists. But we put her in touch with a very good for want of a better term, hypnotist, somebody who would work with her and give her the help that maybe you're describing from a cognitive point of view. And um, she went to the dentist eventually. She was still a bit nervous, though, but she went and she got the work done. So it can be helped, can't it? Oh, it absolutely can. And uh, people like clinical psychologists um, or hypnotherapists, uh, as, as you mentioned, Neil, can be very, very helpful for certain people uh, in, in overcoming this. And the person will remain anxious. You know, you can't just switch this off like flicking a switch. It, it, it seems to be somewhat hardwired. But what the therapy can do is make it less disabling, make it less immediately anxiety provoking. Because as you see, Neil, it's really distressing to see someone in that hugely anxious state crying and panicking and so disturbed and upset. That can be reduced greatly. Um, through through treatment, uh, particularly for those really troubling phobias, like some people's social phobia or fear of lifts, or as you say, a fear of the dentist or doctors. There are so many of them. As I go through the list, I see another one here, which is, uh, correct me if I'm pronouncing this wrong, nyctophobia, which is a fear of the dark. Does that happen to all age groups? There'll be parents listening to this whose children have a fear of the dark. Why, why is that? Is that the booty man under the bed or syndrome or what? 
Well, that's an evolutionary one very, very strongly because, you know, throughout human evolution, it was very reasonable to be afraid of the dark uh, because you never knew what was in it. And that is uh, such a common one in children as well. And, you know, the best the best approach to that is, you know, you can't really talk somebody out of a phobia in the moment. You know, you can talk and reassure, but the best thing that you can do is to model good behavior so for parents that means sitting with the child just quietly calmly reading a book or doing something other than talking about the phobia in the dark and demonstrating rather than telling the child that it is possible to be in this situation and not anxious yeah you know yeah, yeah. the children children learn from what their parents do rather than what we say and that's a scary thought sometimes but it gives us huge power to, to demonstrate to children how to live with various kinds of discomforts, worries or fears and simply simply abiding in that. And, you know, parents worry, is there an absolute rule about leaving a light on, turning a light off, letting a child, you know, sleep in the bed with the parents or not? And there is no absolute rule about that. Every child and parent is different. The key is to be modelling strong, calm, caring behaviour and the child will slowly learn there's nothing to be afraid of in the dark. I won't keep you much longer, but in general, should be parents should parents be aware and alert of what they're saying around children, you know, with regards to needles or, or maybe, you know, injections or, you know, the dentist and things like that, because they will just pick up on it like a sponge. Yeah, children, children certainly do. And it's important to be very honest with children at these situations. So sometimes if a child is about to get an injection or have a blood test or something and the parent says, don't worry, it won't hurt, that's not necessarily helpful. It's much, much better to say to the child, look, this will pinch you for a quick little minute, but then it will be over and I will still be here. So uh, just being honest and being present and realising children understand far more than uh, we think they do, but their emotional development mm. is not as good as we often think it is. It must be very difficult to re- really have a genuine fear of touch, mustn't it? Imagine that. Yeah, I mean, and that, that, that comes up more commonly in the context of a fear of intimate relationships, the fear of closeness. It tends not to be a standalone fear of touch. It tends to be a difficulty with close relationships. Deeper than that, that's often yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's often a manifestation of it. So that's one where you do need to go a little bit deeper into the person's psychological functioning rather than simply focusing on the problem mm-hmm. that presents. OK, if I put it this way, the other end of the spectrum then that that really would be, for me, difficult to take seriously, a, a fear of cooking, a fear of vacuum cleaners, really a fear of beautiful women. Are they realistic? <laughs> well, the fear of cooking and the fear of vacuum cleaning, if we're to pathologise that, then half the country has a fear. Half the country is in fear of emptying the dishwasher syndrome. <laughs> well, I think more common is compulsive emptying of the dishwasher syndrome, which I've heard described in men who are weirdly obsessed with filling and emptying dishwashers <laughs> as the sum total of their domestic work. Must be something wrong with me, Brendan, because I love filling it, but I hate emptying it. <laughs> well, look, Neil, we're not going to start analysing you on air. That would occupy the rest of your show. Thank you, my friend. Much obliged to you for taking the call. Have a good day for yourself. Appreciate it. Thank you. Brendan Kelly, Thanks. the Professor of psychology, psychology, psychiatry, psychiatry, I should say, at Trinity College Dublin. He knows his stuff. Share your own phobias, please. Text 0868 We covered an awful lot of ground. We might have included your phobia. If not, do share. Back in a minute. Call the Neil Prenderville Show now. 0818 104 106.
Red FM. One of the ones that keeps coming up in our text is arachnophobia, which is what Helen has. Helen, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are you? You knew it was arachnophobia, did you? Oh, God, yeah. yeah. Oh, the fear of the spider. Like, even, I suppose, they constantly turn up inside in the bathroom. <laughs> inside my bathroom. I, and, I, uh, I, I know they do, um, but they're tiny. They'll do you no harm uh, at all. Uh, yeah, but see, I don't mind the little small ones now and get over it, but these big black fellas with long legs and everything looking up at you. Ugh. Okay, how do you react to them? Oh, um, like one stage there was a spider inside in the sink inside my bathroom and my husband and my daughter boyfriend were inside in the kitchen and I was just screaming. It was kind of, Jesus Christ, come quick, they're right inside in the sink. And I just, they came in and all they were doing was with a flash lamp looking at the size of these eyes and the size of these legs. And I was like, sake, get them out, like. So, so that so phobia they, has not transferred to your kids, even though they've heard you screaming and roaring. It hasn't frightened them. Well, my son, he's 33, and he kind of has a bit of a phobia, like, but um, as with me, I would be, sometimes I'd be laughing, like, the spider that was in the sink, like, uh, they took him out, and I waited until they had him out and put him out, like, but when I went into the kitchen, I was sitting down, and weren't they after putting him into the glass? that I was drinking out of and I nearly feckin' died. Ah, that's kind of cruel, isn't it? No, it was kind of very funny for them, like. Oh, I know, funny for them, but this started, reading your text earlier, You, you was it, this started when you were a child or something, you were eating a cone. Yeah, I was sitting, I remember it vaguely, I was sitting out in the garden and I was eating a cone and all of a sudden my brother ran over and threw a spider up in the cone and I just dropped the cone and ran for eight of my life. And that's always stuck with you? Yeah, Always, like I often sat up years and years ago. I always, I often sat up waiting for my brothers to come in if there was a daddy long legs in the corner of my bedroom or anything to just get them out, get them out. Or even the flying fellows, you know, the flying daddy long legs. Yes, I would be ducking inside in the kitchen if they were flying around. Like, but what, what do you, uh, you like? You, you just react and scream, but do you have palpitations? Because some people are texting saying that they have actual palpitations and get shakes and get the sweats and have to have to sit down. Well, so, like, if there's no one in the house, like, I'm kind of, oh, Jesus, what am I going to do with this fellow now? Like, you know, and I kind of call my little dog and I'd say, look at him, look, look at him. You know, kind of get rid of him, like, but, like, I often... A dog will, shows, will like, not in any way interject on your behalf for the spider. They might sniff no, it, but that's about all. No, they were just looking at it and say, like, what's your problem, like? <laughs> <laughs> we're all God's no, creatures. Like, even... Like, even another incident now, it was that, like, I had, a guy was actually in a small little bag of coal inside in the shop, and I had it um, inside the boot of my car. And, like, I was going home, and next thing I was walking in my back door, and I felt this thing flicker in my hair. So I just flicked my hair, and this big spider fell out of my hair, and I just went, bang! Student tossed him. Oh, you killed him? Oh, I had to, and I was walking up my heel up to the shed to show my husband besides the spider stuck on my shoes. Okay, have you a, have you a garden shed? Yeah, uh, yeah, we have. Have you ever been in it? Oh yeah, I have. Like I would always like I never actually look around because if I look around and spot a spider inside, I never go in there. Because I know people who have garden sheds, and there's members of families that will never ever go into a garden shed for fear of one mice, secondly rats. In all my years going in and out of sheds, I've never come across a mouse or a rat, although I have seen, um, you know, droppings from, I hope they're mice, but that's a perfectly normal thing in nature. But they have a fear that they'll be full of spiders, and sheds are full of spiders, so it's surprising you go into a shed. Oh, I would, yeah. Like, I would go in, but I wouldn't look around. Like, you know, even, 
Like, there was another incident actually inside in the bathroom again. I don't know what they have. They're possessed with the bathroom with me anyway, but... Um, uh, it's, up and down, it's up and down through the... Um, through the plug holes, that's what it is. Oh, I don't know. I just think they they actually know this stage now. This is where my fear starts. Like, <laughs> but I went I went in another day, and there was next thing I closed the door, and next thing there was a big black spider on the ground, and I go, oh, shit, how am I going to get out? <laughs> Open the door and walk out. No, I was roaring for my husband. He was outside the door. He said, "For fake, fake, turn the key." Like, and I said, "I can't." He's behind the door, so I actually had to ah. creep around the opposite side, get the key out of the door. Passed it out the window to my husband, and he actually came in and opened the door and put out the spider. Uh, go on, <laughs> look after yourself. <laughs> Back after eleven. Text away six eight one zero four one zero six. Now the Neil Prenderville Show, Red FM. On a free food Friday again this Friday, courtesy of ourselves and Roosters Piri Piri Douglas and Blackpool Retail Park. And if you're eating out or getting food at the weekend. Think about Roosters Piri Piri. You'll love it. So 15 to 20 of you will be fed uh, this lunchtime. Red patrollers pick it up and deliver it hot to the workplace. You need to tell me who you are and where you are to 086-8104-106. Chicken wings, chicken skewers, beef skewers, chicken pitters, chicken wraps and beef burgers, lots of sides, uh, Piri salted fries, the rice and the waffle fries, and then all sorts of toppings for that. And you finish with the big cheesecakes to feed you all and you put your own toppings on the on the cheesecakes. So that's courtesy of Rooster Peri Peri. Check them out online, roostersperiperi.com. So I'll do the next bunch of shout-outs in about 15 minutes' time. Before I go back, just, uh, ver- just very seriously, wearing my serious hat again, regarding the closure of ILC Dover, uh, got another email from uh, an employee, well, soon to be an ex-employee. And again, I'm not giving out any personal details of those. Um, in regards to the closure of ILC Dover, I was there from the start, pre-opening. Uh, upon starting, I looked into the company and thought it looked like a fabulous company to be employed with. But over the course of the last couple of years, we were given false promises over and over again, which resulted in the loss of morale within the company. We were promised wage increases for senior permanent staff, which were ongoing for a year, these promises, then only to be told that they had decided to withdraw the increase to save money. This actually happened several times. We also had staff visit the Poland site to train staff and also had Polish employees visit Blarney, which myself, I trained several of those. Staff organised meetings with management then there was contact with the head of personnel in the United States, states, which resulted in them flying to Ireland to assure us staff that even though the Poland site would be operating, the Blarney site will not be effective, affected. We were told that orders were thriving and continued to do what we were doing. And now, bang, we're closing. This resulted yesterday in the downing of tools. I'd like to remain anonymous, please, due to the future employment in this sector, and I do not wish to risk this. Isn't that very sad? Even when people came over and promised that the Blarney site would not be affected, the opposite happened. Blarney closes Poland and Mexico get the work. Keep those stories coming. Text 0868104106. Back to the phone lines we go. Good chat this morning about phobias, and keep your phobias coming. Text 0868104106. Mary, good morning. Good morning, Need. Thanks for holding. I appreciate you taking the time. So, your phobia is what? Hills. Just hills. driving up hills, yeah, driving up hills. I'm okay coming down them, a little bit nervous, but I suppose I had an experience years ago. I'd little see it punto, and I suppose it was never tested as regards brakes. 
and I was going up Cork Hill in Yall. Is it steep? Probably. Oh, very steep. Now, there is another hill that's famous for the, um, the, the Iron Man. That's Windmill Hill, which is unbelievable. But Cork Hill is very, very steep as well. What happened? But I was driving up the hill and there was um, a big coal lorry parked in front of me delivering coal. So I was at, at, we'll say, at the steep part of the hill, I had to put on the handbrake and the handbrake wasn't really, really good, which I had never known. So I almost got a panic attack. I thought, oh my God, will I just get out of the car and just leave the car roll down the hill? Was it rolling backwards? No, it wasn't. But I just felt that the, the, the handbrake wasn't the best so you were right. anticipating that you would roll backwards, lose control, yes. and the car would just shoot down the hill. Yes, yeah. I will yeah. never forget it. And since then, I cannot drive up that hill. If I'm going to Yall to pick up friends or anything, I'm driving all around the town, going down the bypass to pick them up, all that sort of thing. And I often say to my friends, if I won a house in Cork Hill in the morning, I'd actually refuse it. <laughs> so if you were offered a free house on Cork Hill three or four bedroom terrace or semi front and back garden all the mod cons A-rated you turn it down I would I would <laughs> seriously I, I seriously would well thankfully I have my own house but I seriously would I'd have to taxi up and down I'd have to walk up and down <laughs> I just could not drive up car kills. do you drive a manual or an automatic car a manual. There lies the problem. If you had an automatic car, you'd have no problem because it couldn't go back. Well, maybe somebody might sponsor me, Neil, this morning. <laughs> so if you got an automatic car and a free house on, on Cork Hill, you'd be in it in a shot then with the automatic car. Um, I don't know. <laughs> I'm still not too sure. It's not very convincing, Neil. <laughs> I'd love to see you try to get up um, Patrick's Hill here in Cork. Oh, my God. Yeah, not a hope. Not a hope. Okay, we'll, we'll, we'll blame the coal man for your phobia, all right? Oh, yeah, that's okay. That's right. okay, Neil. All the best, and Mary. Then, Take care. Speaking about, sorry, Neil, speaking about your old carpets, my father worked there for about 36 years. But I remember him back in the day, they were all excited because they were making um, a carpet, a yard carpet for Frank Sinatra's house. Where? In America? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How come he picked a yard carpet? I don't know. Such was the fact. popularity of it all over the world. Wow. Yes, yeah. So I'd say there's a lot of stories that come from your carpets. Frank Sinatra's carpet. <laughs> yes, and well, I remember back in the day, Christmas, around Christmas, they used to have an awful lot of the big cardboard boxes, you know, where all the looms would come in. And I used to be saying to my father, Dad, will you bring me home the cardboard box? And we'd wake up in the morning, he'd come off shift work. And the big cardboard boxes would be down and we'd be making cabbies out of the cardboard boxes. And we were so excited. What would you be making out of it? Sorry. I'd cut a few windows out of it and we'd hop into it. Oh, and little we'd houses. It up and little oh, houses. Oh, my God. And I'd be leaving notes for my father, like when I'd come from school, when he'd be coming off, you know, he'd go into work, Dad will bring me home a cardboard box. <laughs> and the excitement we had out of the cardboard boxes from... Um, the, carpets. the simple pleasures back in the day, what? 
Yes, and also the looms will say if they were, you know, he, that they'd be leftovers of the looms, you know, all the, the different wools. And my father used to bag up all the end of the looms and I used to bring it over to the school in Killa and we used to do knitting classes out of it. Oh, happy days. The simple pleasures. Happy days, Well Neil. done. Yeah. Thanks for sharing, Thank Mary. You, Pleasure Neil. talking Bye-bye. to you. Take Bye-bye. care. Bye-bye. Laura, good morning. Hi, Neil. How are you? Okay, I'm seeing a lot to do with various types of animals or flying critters like birds and stuff like that, bats, um, ducks, swans, mice, cats. With you, it's sheep. Oh, I can't stand them. So they're the loveliest little things, little peaceful things. They're not. They're dirty. They're big, hairy wolves and they just... These black eyes, beady eyes just stare through you. They never... They just stare at you. I just... Oh... No. You're afraid that they're black beady eyes that are staring deep into the depths of your soul and they know all your secrets? Yeah, do you ever just look at them and they just stare at you and they're just dirty looking and then the noise and... No, I couldn't do sheep now at all. Yeah, but you wear clothes that comes from sheep's wool and everything. I have no problem with that. I know. (laughs) I know. I, I just get anxiety when I'm around them. Actual anxiety though, really? Oh, very bad. I be I sick and everything. Do you know when you go up um do you ever go up Malsgast and Clarny yeah. and they're just always there at night time. I remember one time I just think I just forgot when we were playing music and we were just driving up and there they were just standing there. Straight away pulled the car into the left, hit a load of rocks, damaged my car. You're joking. And I just, You're joking. Oh I swear to God you and crashed because of them. Take, Yeah. And one of the girls had to jump into the driver's seat and I just went on to floor in the passenger waiting to get out of there. And, like, when did this begin, this fear of sheep? Was it recent or a childhood thing? Child, when we were younger, we used to go to Gary Vaux and we used to have to get back garden and then there used to be a field full of sheep and I used to just get anxiety and just be crying and I used to get shot to my nuns and for the rest of their trip. She was up in Grange and... Um, then I think Malstock then really kicked me off even worse like okay. you know, when I started going to rally the lakes and stuff like that um, So yeah, you're not a, you're not a regular visitor to the countryside then I'm sure No God no <laughs> Just because of the sheep What about lambs though they're the most beautiful little cuddly cute things I, do, I don't even look I don't even look You're okay with cows or horses yeah. or pigs things like that Yeah fine with them it's just the sheep it's the big hairy wool and the dirt and the eyes I just their eyes are just too um, I just think it's the way they look of you they look at you okay amazing the stories we're getting this morning appreciate that thank you for that look after yourself stay away from the countryside stay in the city (laughs) alright I have a phobia of shaking hands with people so much that I avoid go to funerals that I really should be attending is it acceptable not to shake hands with the family members who have lost a loved one I wonder um, it's difficult not to though isn't it in circumstances like a funeral not to shake hands I mean it's probably less acceptable at a funeral to give somebody a hug but very acceptable to shake hands so no that's serious that's not something I'd be making light of we'll, I will never ever ever overcome my fear of texting radio talk shows oh wait I just did <laughs> thank you somebody there is a fear I don't know what it's called and I'm in front of me but there is a thing called a fear of buttons actually a fear of buttons now whether that's buttons to close up your clothes or buttons on a phone or a laptop or a computer I don't know my husband has the biggest fear of spiders he once scaled a table to get away from one he literally shakes in fear of them don't think it's women 
only. I have a fear of dying, even though it's inevitable at some stage, but it's a real fear that even comes out in my dreams. Love the show. Can't ring in. Hope you get to read this out. Thank you. I have a fear of, uh, that's actually called, the fear of buttons is called kumpoonophobia. Kumpoonophobia. It's a fear of buttons. Very rare condition, um, but the sufferer will suffer anxiety at the object buttons in this case. But is it button? Oh yes, it's buttons on clothing, as in the texture of certain buttons. Um, get zips, I suppose, or Velcro. Job done. My husband is... Okay, I did that one. I have a fear of rats and mice and, wait for it, matchsticks. I can't touch them and I can't sm- stand the smell of a match when it's lit. I have a phobia of feckin' Egypts. They bring me out in bouts of aggression, says Paddy. <laughs> Thank you for that. It's a bit like one I got earlier on this morning, which is a fear of, where is it again? A fear of a hard day's work. Uh, whenever as the chance of a hard day's work appears, my pal disappears. Um, others then talk about fear of opening bills and fear of the cost of living. I, I get all of those. Uh, text 0868104106. Here's the ketchup one again. I used to have a ferocious fear of ketchup. I used to cry and feel so much fear and panic if I saw it or smelt it. I would proper cry. I would hyperventilate. hyperventilate. I would say general anxiety overall worsened it. Um, and it was a consequence of general anxiety. CBT calmed me overall and I'm now more mellow in many areas of my life. But I still refuse to buy ketchup from my house, though. So it's genuine. There's more than one then. There's a good half dozen so far, certainly by text. Text 0868104106. Some more Free Food Friday shout outs on the way. This is the Neil Prenderville Show. Text and WhatsApp 086-8104-106. Gork's Red FM. Texter says your carpets ultimately moved to China. Keep those texts coming. Text 0868-104-106. Another huge fear and phobia that people have are clowns. Clowns. That's another very big one. Free food chat, Friday shout outs for everybody. O'Sullivan's Pharmacy on the Grange Road in Douglas. Total Solutions in Middleton are listening. House of Hair in Kinsale celebrating 18 years in business this week. Orchid Centre in the CUH. Morning to Angela. A new me medical centre and clinic on Penrose House are listening the infusion unit in the CUH Morning Catherine Barry Joyce Coles from the top of Fair Hill Paddy Powers and Grona Braher Morris from Cork Kent Station would love to add himself and the workmates into the mix Don L and the lads in Mox Bar on the Bandon Road that's a bar many years ago I'd have the odd few pints with the great Sean Beecher Morning to you all in Mox Honey Brown's hair in Ballincollig uh, everybody at Anderlift Safety Services one feeding today out in Boland Industrial Estate the O'Mala Road Stable Door Pottery in Middleton busy making Wish Upon a Star Angels. They even had handmade plates and bowls ready for the food to be delivered this lunchtime. Anticipating. Uh, Blarney Castle and Gardens need a treat on this dull day. All round beauty in Mayfield are listening. Ego Hair Salon and Cove working very hard. Everybody, the cleaners in particular in the Voodoo and Brogue on Oliver Plunkett Street. To Aileen, Julie, Ellie, Jackie and Louise working at the CGI Coal Store in Middleton. And finally for now, Atkins Farm Machinery on the Cargrahan Road. I hope to do one more bunch of shout-outs this side of midday. So you've one final opportunity to text who you are and where you are to 86 106 Big response then to my conversation this morning uh, with Kevin about sharing a pizza. They're calling it Pizza
Pizzagate. Uh, Kevin seems to be winning this and I'm being told I'm being unreasonable for refusing to share one pizza across the table. Um, well, I mean, if it was cost-related, I'd accept it, but that'd be the only reason. Neil, there are many reasons people don't want to eat when they go out to a pub. Some people have had their dinner before they go out. Some don't have the finances to eat. Some people aren't drinking and just will have water. If it's uh, getting a bit bleak, if you have to pay just to sit now while the other person in your group is drinking or eating food. Well, I suppose you could call it bleak. If you're charged €3.50 to share a €13.90 sandwich, I'm sure it's a great sandwich. Although Marie says, good God, that's an expensive sandwich and chips, €13.90. I'd get a happy meal and a tea and coffee, no problem at all. Hamburger and maybe chips is about €18 in the trade house in Balancholic. So €13.90 is expensive. It would be one serious humdinger of a sandwich. Um, I would I would usually share food as I have a gastric bypass surgery and I cannot eat a whole meal. This could be the reason. So be careful how to judge people who share food. One person says they're with me. I'm with Neil. No sharing. And one final one. On the extra charges from restaurants, I can afford to pay a sandwich for myself, but I would not assume everyone has the same conditions as I do. And what about takeaway? Would this restaurant charge cheaper if you take the meal home? When they make the prices, they should consider that in some instances they will have tables with one person only and in other instances people will will take a meal for four home and so they'll balance it out. There is no need to charge for sharing food. Uh, I wouldn't go to places that do charge. It's got to be somewhat frustrating though for a restaurant or whatever the case may be, hospitality, where you have two people taking up a table and two chairs and only one is eating perhaps only one. Would it be uh, acceptable for somebody to go into a cafe and sit down at the table with a friend and say, you know, what are you having? I'll have an Americano. And the other person, no, I'm fine. I'll have a glass of water. Maybe, maybe there's nothing you can do about it. Um, But, you know, we are coming towards a time now when perhaps people will be charged for the pleasure of sitting down. So keep those coming. Text 0868104106. Another topic that I dealt with earlier in the week, and at the time it had to do with uh, rugby fans heading to France for the Scotland game this weekend. They were being warned to be wary of the fact that Paris has a plague of pests at the moment. They are being, um, there's an invasion of bedbugs, not just in the hotel rooms of the Airbnb, but also on the buses and on the metro. And be careful where you sit because there is a bedbug invasion there. It got me thinking actually about pests in our own part of the world. And Owen from Pest Attack is saying, don't be terribly worried about bringing home bed bugs and critters from France. We have our own healthy population of them here anyway in the first place. Joins me by phone. Owen, good morning. Morning, Neil. How are things? Um, and it's one of the call-outs for you guys. It's not necessarily just bats or rats or mice. It's um, infestations in the home, is it? It is. We get uh, we get calls from bed bugs uh, infested in the home at all times of year. It's not any t- particular time of year or anything. But, but yes, generally people returning from uh, major cities and things like that. Uh, but yeah, we get them in the home, covering all all types of soft furnishings. Oh my God! Not just the beds or the mattresses, but in the sofas or in the seats or the cushions, or the settees, the carpets, every, every, everywhere that's soft furnishing. It's uh, yeah, they, they, they can survive anywhere really. Can I just ask you because the Paris thing is interesting? This is a bed bug infestation in the city's hotels, theatres, pubs, public transport. It's plaguing people. Is that out of the ordinary, or, or is it that you, they can just spread so fast? Uh, they can very, they can spread very fast, Neil. Um, ten weeks is, ge- is generally the, the the life cycle of a of, of a um, of a bed bug, you know. 
So uh, generally, generally when when you're when you're treating the life cycle of, of a bed bug, there's like five stages of, of nymphs. So like essentially, like um, the, the eggs of a bed bug are, are generally about a mil long. So, so you don't really see them. So you can have layers and layers and layers of eggs being laid throughout throughout a couple of days or a couple of weeks at a time and by the time they all start uh, getting an in, in influx of a population it's generally too late at that stage and people try their own, own home remedies and things like that and it doesn't really work you, you need a professional to deal with the, okay. to deal with bed If they're coming up with their own home remedies that means they can see the bed bugs right? Probably feeling them and, and doing a bit of a Google that's what I find uh, you find people generally get bitten they do a bit of a Google they might assume one thing kind of maybe might rule out another thing judging by what they're reading online which may not give the full disclosure of information that you need and therefore they, they may be treating the, the, wrong, the, the, wrong, the wrong insect, you know? Okay, no, it's just that there was a paragraph in an article earlier in the week that said skin-crawling videos show bed bugs roaming over the seats on trains and buses in Paris while cinema owners have been left spooked by footage online of bed bugs in the theatres. So somebody's been filming them with their, um, with their, with their smartphones maybe up very close Close. What I mean, do, do, what do they look like? Well, bed bugs are generally generally round. Uh, they're, they're a circle kind of shape, and and they're slightly transparent. Uh, well, they're slightly transparent when they're unfed, and and they're not containing human blood inside them after a oh, feed. Wow. Um, so generally, uh, as the stages of the nymphs start getting start getting larger, they do tend to become more full on blood, especially if there's somebody in in the in the same room or building. Oh my now, God! While we're sleeping, side, but how are they getting through the mattress into the sheet? Like, how, how does well, that work? They can get through. Like, pic- picture a picture a, a thread and needle. If you put that needle through any piece of clothing or fabric or anything, the the, the nymphs can actually get through a, a, a pinhole that size. So traveling traveling through uh, different materials is, is not a problem for them. And the opposite is the case as well. Like, I could be in a hotel on a mattress that to someone the night before could have the bugs on them, is it? Yes, no. Where where things get slightly confusing there is we use a, we use a, a, a term, bit of terminology in the industry that says uh, bed bugs, they don't mix their drinks. So essentially what we're saying there <laughs> okay. is you could have, let's say, I'm staying in hotel room 101 in Paris this evening and there's bed bugs in that room that have previously fed on <laughs> John's plan okay. in the same room, you know. So if they're feeding on John and I come into the room the next evening, they will not feed on me. They, they will starve themselves of John's blood before they'll start feeding on me. So they can survive up to, up to weeks or months at a time without feeding before they'll move on to the next person. But that person in, in question could still be carrying them around the place while they're breeding, but not Th- feeding. You know, that's all, and that's all very well, I get that. But, you know, I don't think that hotels or Airbnbs or places like that change their mattresses all that often. I'm, I'm quite sure that they do from time to time, but are the bed bugs always living in the mattresses? Not always, no. Again, uh, they're living in all types of soft furnishings. But again, if you look at... Uh, it's very hard to kind of point a finger on this while we're on air, but uh, especially in the major cities, there's there's the same there's the same common denominator with all the major cities. And that being said, the same pest control company, the same big pest control company being used across these these major cities. No, I'm not going to name them on air or anything, but they do bring they do bring problems. Yes, they give great information and all that, but there is the same common denominator across all major cities, including Cork, Dublin, Limerick, Waterford, Galway. 
So look, it, it is something that we have to target and something that other pest controllers in the industry do have to kind of rally together because it's something that we haven't done in the past and it's only something that's happening in previous years and the fact that we can rally together and work together now makes life a bit, easy, bit easier for You mean that some companies aren't doing a proper job? Yes, there's, yeah, well, okay. well, there's one company in particular, but they do they they don't train in in the same in the same line okay. that okay. the rest of us train. Okay, so why why yeah. do we get warnings then about when we go on holidays? You know, with regards to our luggage and our clothes coming home, is it the potential to be bringing them back? Then is it? That's it. That's it. Again, like if you're staying in, let's say, an Airbnb or, or a hotel or, or whatever kind of a, a short term accommodation you might be talking about, the the the, the bed bugs they're they're living and surviving in all soft furnishings. So whether it be your suitcase, whether it be your clothes, your socks, the carpet in, in, in the room that's in question, it, it doesn't really matter. They're they're surviving in all types of um of soft furnishings. And the rate that they reproduce in, you know, they they can they can basically reproduce at such a rate that, that the, 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 the the population can go from zero to basically like seventy thousand in a matter of weeks. Oh my so, God! And, and how is a person going to know? Are they going to be itchy? Are they going to like? What, yes, will there be? Will there be will. like? Will there be blood on them or, or what? You may, you you you'll start feeling bites and things like that. No, when you're getting bitten, you see that this is this is where things get a bit confusing for for your average householder. Um, a bed bug can draw blood for about five minutes before they actually retreat back to back to their back to digestion you know um, and and with that uh, bed bugs can lay up to five eggs in a day and more than 500 in a lifetime so if you picture those 500 coming alive and in those 500 in a 10 week life cycle again giving birth to about 500 eggs each the numbers can can increase fairly fast you know so, so they can get out of control very quickly but is it inevitable that we all have them perhaps in our sofa or our carpets or our mattresses no no, 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 no. It wouldn't be like that. Okay. Um, okay. You, you'd want to be regularly vis- visiting larger cities and things like that. No, it's not always larger cities. It does happen in rural areas as well. But again, these rural areas are bringing people from larger cities and larger cities is really where the, the tell problem is. Tell me this. What else is in our mattress? <laughs> in, in terms of insects and things like that, um, the, the, the two most common ones that we come across would be bed bugs and fleas. No, again, there's a lot of confusion there as well. Because when uh, when when a bed bug bites you, it, it can be up to a couple of minutes after the bite before you actually feel the bite. Whereas that may not occur with a flea. So, getting all these smaller bits of information that would be, uh, let's say, the more detailed information, you're you're not getting. You're not your average householder doesn't look for that information. So, confusing one insect with, with another insect can be very common, you know. Besides insects though, I'm quite sure, I did read somewhere, somebody mentioned to me, someone said who was involved in selling mattresses that there's pints and pints of body fluid. I know it's, I mean, I don't yeah. mean sounding disgusting at this hour of the morning, but it, like, it literally soaks everything up, right? Yeah, like there's been there's been a couple of cases there, like there was one case there going back uh, maybe about a month or two ago and uh, I got to the house anyway, and the, the the person in question was under the under the impression that they had bed bugs. Now, turns out it was fleas, but what what we found in that mattress was bodily fluids of all sorts. Uh, and no, I won't go into details no, on air. Please don't. Uh, <laughs> you you can only imagine what I'm talking about. Uh, so so we did request that 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 householder went away and got a got a, a professional clean of the house before we started our uh, our work uh, even just aside from our own our own our own health and hygiene um dealing with these these pests having a clean home uh, when you're putting down insecticide having a, like for example having a clean floor no dust no clutter 
no crumbs and things like that, it, it, it makes it easier for, for these insects to crawl around. Like, you'd have to imagine the carriage space with between their underbelly and the floor. It's not a, it's not a great deal of space. So if you've got dust or critter or, 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 or anything at all on the floor for that matter, they're not going to get around too easily. So it is harder for them to, 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 to be mobile. It's harder for them to get from one side of the room yeah, to the other, yeah, which yeah. they won't be picking up on the insecticide that we lay. So, so making sure that your house is, is cleanliness and it's clean and tidy, it's very important, you know. Totally. I just finally, though, I think you might have been mentioning to the lads that one of, some of the more interesting call-outs would be to college accommodation. Is that right? <laughs> yes, Neil. That 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 would be uh, that would be the matter. Yeah, um, college accommodation can be very. Uh, it can be a touchy subject. It can be a touchy subject between between the, the guys and the girls. Uh, there, there's you, you like going into a set of a college, college accommodation apartments. Like you, you can aside from the fact of the difference between a girl's taste and, and boy's taste, you, you do have the difference in, in cleanliness between the rooms. And it's very easy to, to, to set the two apart. Yeah, to say uh, the least, yeah. To say yeah, the so least. You do find some very strange situations, especially yeah. when you go into a college accommodation and, and the, the, the students have not read their emails or they, they haven't gotten the information that were, that were arriving, so they're not prepared for our arrival. And you do see some, you do see some very strange and wonderful things. Somebody said to me, "Finally, the reason bedbugs thrive in hotels is because hotels are no longer allowed to wash their linen in hot water, only cold water, because of environmental laws. Cold waters doesn't kill them. Any truth in that?" I, I don't know what, That's a what new one stories you, is surrounding yeah. okay. um, yeah. surrounding hotels washing their own linen. I do come across hotels that that wash their own linen, and I come across more hotels that don't wash their own linen. Now, in in terms of surviving with bedbugs. They can survive in different temperatures. Now, generally going above 25 degrees. 25 degrees wouldn't be, wouldn't be the exact figure. It does change from insect to insect. Now, going above roughly approximately 25 degrees will, will kill them off. But again, saying that if, if, you're, if you're not staying above that 25 degrees for a particular period of time or a sustained period of time, they may get past that, that uh, temperature barrier. So, so putting putting um, putting bed linen in on a, on a on a warm wash, and even putting them through on a, on, a, on a hot dry, will will kill off eggs and, and and things like that. Now, said that saying that if you are if you are um, if you are subbing out your your linen. Uh, how are you to know that the company is... You don't know. Exactly you don't know. You're in the hands of the gods. So. All right. Listen, great yeah. words yeah. of advice and a lot of insight from you. Um, appreciate that. People can get in touch with you if they wish to avail of your services. Thank you, Owen. Appreciate it. Have a great weekend. That's Owen from Pest Attack. Free Food Friday shout-outs from everybody working on Sullivan's Pharmacy and Grange Road in Douglas. Innovative Total Solutions in Middleton. House of Hair in Kinsale. Everybody at the Orchid Centre. Many more people have been texting as well for Free Food Friday and we'll try to get another few of them on the air between now and midday. Back out after the break. The Neil Prendeville Show on Cork's Red FM. Our phone lines remain open after midday, 0818-104-106. We're going to be played out live this morning by Aaron O'Sullivan. Thanks to Owen Hennessy and Live Music Promotions. Every Friday we've got live music and he's going to play us out today. But I want to give a big shout out to a one-night event at the Cork Arts Theatre on Carol's Key on the 10th of October, Tuesday. Off the meter, on the record. It's the story of a New York cabbie who we fondly now call Johnny Two Pints. He joins me by phone from Donegal, but he's heading south. Johnny Two Pints, good morning. <laughs> the only thing rarer in Donegal is bed bugs and Wi Fi. <laughs> Sorry about the bed bug story, man. It's not to everybody's taste. But
But oh. tell, tell me this, John McDonough. I, 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 little Birdie tells me you're called Johnny Two Pints because it was a Cork fella short the fair in New York in your taxi or something, was it? No, it was a Dublin guy. Dublin who guy. Gaff- at Gaffney and Sons right by Crow Park. It was four in the morning. He didn't have the complete fare. And and this was before credit cards. So he wrote on a piece of paper that if I ever come to Dublin, go to the bar and get two free pints of Guinness. So uh, I took him up on the offer last October. But this is why I'm a cab driver, not a businessman. I had a, Most people go to a bar, they take a car or a taxi. I took Aer Lingus for $700. So each pint cost me $350 for a free pint. So, uh, you know, I'm not that good a drinker or businessman. I think I'll stick to driving. You spent $700 to fly 3,000 miles. I hope they were superb pints of Guinness, were they? Oh, they were good. I mean, he has a reputation for having good Guinness, but uh, <laughs> I went a long way for that. That was the most expensive IOU you ever got. Um, listen, life as a cabbie in New York, though, what an extraordinary story you have to tell. What is it, like 30, 40 years of it? Yeah, for 40 years, and the play is, is multimedia because you would not believe half the stories I tell you. So I actually have the videos and the newspaper clippings, particularly the, the video of Stephen Fry. He, he did a documentary, a six-part documentary about coming to America, and I was his guide in New York, and he said he wanted to see my New York. So I, I grew up in Queens in an Italian neighborhood with these mob clubs. So my brother was an associate, let's put it that way, yeah. right? like Jimmy the Gent Burke. Cause I, I told him, at this club, Goodfellas is considered to be a documentary. It's not a movie. <laughs> and so he agreed to come down to it. There was only one problem. The club had been shot up a couple of weeks before, but I said, I think that problem's been solved. So they asked me, they said, listen, can you do me one favor? When Steven's filming, can you promise there'll be no shootings? I said, I can't promise you that, but if we do it early in the morning, guys that shoot up clubs tend to do that later at night. And this is real so, world stuff, like, it's not something oh, out of the movie. Listen, we couldn't get them out of the thing. They were talking about running numbers, fixing horse races, gambling. He was, you know, out of his element, but he loved to hear the stories. And he wrote a book about it, and he won a BAFTA award for, for the documentary series. I mean, you've seen it all with people either sitting next to you in the cab or in the back seat. You've had a gun put to your head, I think, more than, more well, than once. I it, mean, like, are there that, areas you I, don't go to? Well, <laughs> yeah. The, at, at the time, the fear you had driving, say, 80s, in the 80s and 90s, because... There was literally like one cab driver a month who was being shot dead and, and mainly had to do with junkies looking for dope money, you know, robbing you for a quick hundred. So if a guy said he was going to Lower East Side, you know, we, we didn't want to go down there. Like Avenue B looked like Dresden after World War Two, and he would point to a building and he goes, listen, can you wait outside? I'm going into the building. I'm only going to be five minutes. Now, you're going to wait because you're not going to pick up anybody in the Lower East Side. So he goes into the building, you pay no attention, you're looking out the window. Next day, he comes flying into the car, he's got a gun in one hand oh, and a bag man. of dope in the other, and the guys are coming after him, and he goes, go, go. So I'm a wheelman now in a drug robbery. Wow. But this is not so bad, because guys that rob drug dealers tend to tip better. <laughs> it's like, a, it's a very, or at least it was a very precarious job. I was reading you said somewhere that once upon a time, getting your taxi license meant you could rear your family, you could have enough money, but now you're saying that drivers can barely enough make enough money to pay the fee on the cab. Not only that, it's it's the, the competition now of Uber and Lyft that, you know, you just tap an app 
and the car appears in front of you instead of going out into the street and street hailing it like what you do with yellow cabs. So, you, you know, you're working 12 hour shifts. The It's one hundred and fifty dollars as soon as you start the engines, one hundred and twenty for the lease and thirty dollars for gas. So you actually have to make that before you start making money during the day. So you, you really have to put in so many hours and so many days in order to really start making money. I know, I know. But you know what? Similar problems here on this side of the Atlantic. Right. But I, yeah. I think, I mean, I mean your, your, your people are Irish originally. I think your mother's Donegal, that's why you're there. Your dad's from Tyrone. You spent a lot of time in what the Americans call the old country, didn't you? I, I've been going back and forth for 50 years. I went to school in Donegal for a year or two. And what our, our parents would do during the summers would get us off the streets in New York to send us over to work on my uncle's sheep farm. So I know how about uh, this. Eamon Ryan might not like this, but we were footing turf, airing it, and bringing it in in bags. Because <laughs> up here, he's not they're not a big fan of his. Everybody's burning turf. And I feel like it's like a drug deal. I go into my cousin's house. Hey, listen, you got a bag of turf? Yeah, yeah, come back to the shed. Come back to the shed here. All right, don't tell anyone. Take this, five euros. It's gonna, yours. I was going to suggest you should have your own radio program, but you have that already, I'm told. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I do it with Malachi McCourt, whose brother Frank wrote Angela's Ashes. That's and, right. That's you know, right. Malachi's famous in his own right with movies, books, and everything like that. He's 92, and every Sunday, uh, we just sit back and laugh. I hear his stories about Richard Harris and this guy and Sean Connery, and uh, it's just a trip, man. It's really good. So on Tuesday night, what can we expect at the Cork Arts Theatre for Off the Meter on the Record? Well, just some of the stories I just told you there. I'm going to have a friend of mine from the Bronx, an Italian girl, Annie Lancelotto, who's going to be at Maureen's the night before. She's going to open for me for about five minutes, set the tone for the day about what it was like to grow up in the Bronx, Italian. And then uh, I take it away just telling you stories, showing you videos, showing you news clips. And then afterwards, there's going to be a Q&A with one of your friends, Kono Creed. Oh, it's going to be so, fun. That's yeah, gonna be he's really going to tell maybe his New York stories, and uh, I'll I'll tell mine. So it, it's going to be a great night on, on Tuesday uh, at eight o'clock. I'm going to give away a couple Theater. of pairs of tickets for it for the Cork Arts Theatre Tuesday night in Karaski. I wish I had more time, John, because you sound like a. Well, I know you're a really interesting. You know guy what? With many I can shows. always say I was bumped because of bed bugs in France. <laughs> I, that's another reason to hate France. I, I mean, really? Do I do I need another reason? You just gave it to me. <laughs> Sorry about that. You make me feel awful. You feel me like inviting you back next week, for God's sake, man. I'll take the day off. You can do Tuesday's program. Oh, well, yeah. And it won't be about bed bugs in France. Good God. Oh, they'll be coming over to Ireland now seeking asylum. And you'll be putting them up very shortly. Have a good Don't one, worry, Johnny Two Pines. Have right. a good one. Take care. Right, Our lines are open for two pairs of tickets for the gig Tuesday night. Oh, man, I wish I had more time. Pick up the phone 0818104106. But it's time to go. One final bunch of uh, shout-outs for everybody at Nairnri on Tioglach Neofa in Torrey Top Road. For everybody at the Carrigatool Community National School, the Drina National School, and all of the staff at Joe's Edge Hair Salon on Blarney Road. So we'll pick a Free Food Friday winner in a moment. We want to go live, though, for the time that we've left this morning. And in studio, we have Aaron O'Sullivan. Actually, i got two two guys in here. Who's who and which is which? So introduce yourselves, guys. Hey, I'm Aaron. 
I'm Killian. Okay, so Killian's on keyboards, and Aaron, you you did some great work recently. You worked on the Echo Boy thing, didn't you? That That's thing? right. Yeah, that was yeah. fantastic. That was a couple of months ago. Yeah, it's still still growing on TikTok. Yeah, yeah and yeah, so yeah. it should. It's, it's brilliant. So you're gigging much at the moment? Gigging a lot. We're doing um, a gig for the Jazz Weekend on the Sunday in Conway's Yard, two o'clock. Wow. Okay. Yeah. What are you going to play us out with? Start the weekend. So this is a new single. It's called Heartbreaker. It's out next Friday. Your own work. My own work. Bring it on, man. get so much sound out of two people that's incredible did you say you've got the coming out on an album or an EP or what there's a single out next Friday and the EP will be out in January isn't it got much easier now with tech to be able to do an awful lot of your own stuff absolutely rather than to sign up with all these people and get everybody else involved it's revolutionary mm. isn't it yeah like there's so much you can do at home now isn't know? it amazing is that how you started yeah. um, I work in a studio in um, it's called the lab down the marina so um, you have access yeah, with some nice nice stuff done there. Fantastic. It's yeah. a great sound. Well done to you. Thank great you. way to start the weekend. Thank you so much, guys. Appreciate Thanks, it. Cheers. Much obliged Thanks, to you. Um, I'm going to run rapidly out of time. Can I just mention uh, the Cork Space Festival is taking place on the 6th to the 8th of October as part of the National Space Week celebrations, which run from the 4th to the 10th in the Cork School of Music. But asked to let you know that it's a family-friendly event and there's lots happening. And further details on all of it from spaceweek.ie. But the final bit of business for this morning is Rooster's Pier 
Cherry Piri. It's Free Food Friday. We need to pick a winner. This will feed 15 to 20 of you. And if you haven't got enough staff, then uh, rouse them up and uh, gather them up from other parts. Um, let me see what I've got for you. On line six, we should have... Ah, uh, there it is. Atlantic Flight Training Academy at Cork Airport. And we should have Captain Jerry Humphreys. Captain, good morning. Good morning. How are you? You're not in the cockpit now flying. Are you on the ground? No, no, no. It's foggy at the moment, so I decided to take a little bit of time out to talk to you guys. All right, well, well done. How many of you are there? Oh, my goodness. One, two, three, four, five. There's about 12 of us in this room at the moment. Okay, it'll feed more than that. Do you have any other businesses around you that you can rustle up for lunch oh, today? Oh, no, there's 12 in this room. This is just one of the classrooms. There's another classroom with another 12 or 13 next more. Oh so next God. door. So don't worry, we'll absorb all the food I that can, we can get here without any I can any guarantee you it'll all be eaten. And all of those people there, they're all learning to be pilots, are they, Captain? They are all learning to be part. Some of the people in the office are, you know, admin support staff and engineers and computer people. The vast majority are customers. The people that really matter are those who are here learning to be learning to be pilots. All and, right. Uh, okay. Well, good luck to them in the training. There's a lot of food on the way from Roosters Piri Piri. The Red Patrollers will deliver it at lunchtime. Let's finish the be- the week with a big shout out from everybody. Atlantic training, please, if you don't mind. Okay, can we have a big shout out for Red FM and Piri Piri from Atlantic Flight Training? Ready, steady, go! That's appalling. I hope their flying is better than their cheering, Captain. That's shocking. <laughs> shocking. They have to make an effort for the food, man. Come on. You have to make a bigger effort. This is for the better. Food. This is better than. Better this than is better than in flight so ready, food. Ready, steady, go! <laughs> Much better, much better. Much better than the stuff you'd get from Aer Lingus and Ryanair. This is Dacent food, so enjoy it, all right? Thank you so much. Have a good one. Lines will stay open. You can text 0868104106. Pick up the phone on 0818104106. Remember, if you have a story to share, you can always email neil at redfm.ie. Have a good weekend. For more Red FM podcasts, go to redfm.ie forward slash podcasts.